BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What's up, Gypsy gang? We're back for another episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast. And this one, as always, certified banger. It's with my boy, Cameron McAdoo. And I I guess I've been... Uh, or, or Cameron's been on my radar for a while, obviously, uh, just due to his time that he spent in Australia. Um, he kind of had some fill-in rides with Geico uh, and started his career uh, as a Moto Concepts 250 guy uh, before really making some noise um, in the last uh, couple of seasons with Pro Circuit. So I think everybody collectively became a fan of Cameron McAdoo um, at Atlanta 2 this year when he had that insane crash and then restarted the race and managed to fight his way to a podium. He made headlines again a week later uh, with a massive practice crash um, and effectively went from zero to hero um, in the eyes of the internet in just one week. But um, that ride in Atlanta 2 was enough to really make me a fan. It was just such a gutsy uh, performance that I think all motocross riders kind of pride themselves on you know, like we like to think we have the ability to really gut it out and uh, and make it happen. And, and that ride kind of personified um, that moto vibe. Fast forward to the end of three hours of this podcast. And not only uh, am I still a fan of Cameron McAdoo, but I honestly have not spoken to a rider with his level um, of drive, um, almost obsessive drive since Dungey. Um and me and Ronan both at the end of it were just like, man, that kid is, uh, he is on a different level. Um, so really, really, really cool to talk to somebody that is just that inspired, um, and that passionate about, um, their process and, uh, getting better each day. So man, I loved it. Karen McAdoo is a lord and i really hope you guys enjoy this podcast uh before we get into it though i just got to give you some messages from our sponsors as always we're brought to you by the guys at mxstore.com.au and on the 27th of august they'll be having a show and shine at their gold coast superstore so get on down details are on their website i'll be doing some posts on my story as well for that um i will be not only checking out the Wreckers to Checkers bikes that have uh, just been completed, you can check that out on YouTube, by the way, um, but I'm also going to be doing a Q&A with Jeff Ballard. Now, I uh, have obviously just done the podcast with GB, the great man. If you haven't listened, go back and listen right now after this podcast with Cameron McAdoo. Um, and I figured, you know what, I've probably uh, I've asked him quite a lot of questions, so we're going to turn this one back 
to the audience. I'll be putting up a uh, question box on my Instagram. So look out for that. I will be reading your questions to the one and only Jeff Ballard. If there was anything I missed in the podcast, if there was any questions you wish I asked or dived a little deeper on, uh, now is your chance to do that. So 27th of August, the show and shine at MX store. Um, Obviously, mxstore.com.au for all your dirt bikes, parts and accessories. New sponsor on the show today. I am super stoked uh, on this one. Uh, Not only... All right, we have a new sponsor announcement today as well, and I'm super excited to welcome the team at Anti-Gravity Batteries on board. Uh, Scott is actually a full-blown member of the Gypsy Gang. Um, He reached out a while ago uh, about his products in anti-gravity batteries i did one little look on the website and i was like bang we're on here boys you guys absolutely kill it uh these guys make batteries uh you guessed correct uh but they make literally the best batteries they make batteries that are used by factory teams all throughout the pits uh factory buggy teams cars everything these guys are literally the leaders in uh, lithium batteries so uh, lithium batteries if you're not familiar they're, they're super lightweight uh, the anti-gravity batteries are especially uh, lightweight and they're also the first battery to feature uh, an in-battery jump starter so basically there's technology inside the battery that if for some reason you left the bike go too long without charging you leave a headlight on something like that um, there's technology inside the battery that will basically put it into a sleep mode with enough power to cycle through um, one complete restart of your vehicle Um, again super light these are way lighter than stock that's why the factory teams use them Um, if you've ever pulled the battery out of your bike i run a ktm 350 um you pull the battery out of that they're super heavy stock um so switching to an anti-gravity battery uh also you, you're going to protect yourself for um i guess failures i actually just had one um in my 350 as well so quite uh quite good timing on that um but you're going to protect yourself there and you're also going to shave a ton of weight off your bike um so if you're interested in uh, looking at their products, head to antigravitybatteries.com. We're going to have more information coming um, in the next episodes, um, but definitely jump online and have a squiz. Um, more info to come, but welcome on board to the guys at Anti-Gravity Batteries. Like I said, these guys are a part of the Gypsy Gang, um, so super stoked that they've come on board. We're also brought to you by the guys at Fist handwear fisthandwear.com uh gypsy gang is going to get you 15 it's i think it might even be 20 check that dm me let me know uh fisthandwear.com gypsy gang's code that code is also going to work at dixonquality.com.au uh we're also brought to you by the guys at rival inc damn I don't know if you remember, but we've been kind of talking about their 100k giveaway for a while. They're at 97k. They just announced that winner uh, as this podcast goes out. Um, And 3,000 more follows, and they're going to be giving away uh, that brand new Honda 110. The thing is tricked out. Uh, I would love to win it. I can't, unfortunately, Uh, but you can. So head to rivalinkdesignco.com. Code Gypsy Gang is going to get you 15% off your graphics there as well. 
Um, going to be putting some more on this weekend as we get ready for Rocky. Uh, and also, we are brought to you by the guys at Cricks Tweed. Head to crickstweed.com.au. Um, and also, the guys at Crush Oz. Uh, we will be taking a bunch of bike wash up to Rockhampton for the King of Capricorn uh, this weekend. I've talked about it before. But head to crushoz.com. Uh, the easiest way for you to wash your dirt bike is to buy their bike care bucket. It comes with everything you need uh, to wash your bike and then to protect it post-ride. Uh, it's got Rotor Revive in it. It has got um, the bike wash, the degreaser. It's got stuff. Uh, it's got a brush that you can use on your bike. It's probably probably my favorite part uh, and best of all it just packs into a kit it's got the after spray in there so basically you just unload the kit you work your way through and you've got a super clean motorcycle that is protected for rides to come so guys at crush Oz absolutely killing it for us for a really long time they're one of our original sponsors so thanks so much for coming on board guys all right that's it pumped this episode with cam mcadoo is great he's a great guy um and super stoked to have uh to have him come on the podcast enjoy cameron mcadoo welcome to gypsy tales the great man himself how are you brother good how are you thanks for having me yeah, man. No, I'm stoked. So what's been, uh, we're just saying like literally right before we started recording that uh, trying to keep yourself sane while you're not riding. I haven't ridden in two weeks and I'm off it. So, <laughs> so I can't imagine how you feel right now. Yeah, it's uh, it's gotten pretty tough at this point. Uh, early on, you're kind of like you accept it. It's a big bummer. Obviously, I got my, I did my ACL first round of outdoors. So there's a lot of work that goes into it so that we were bummed about it. And then, you know, I kind of accepted it. And then by the time you get, you know, four or five weeks in, um, yeah. I'm chomping at the bit. I'm, I'm nine weeks in now and I still have probably another five at least. So, um, it's getting to the point where I'm like, it, I'm luckily I'm, I'm able to start cycling now and start doing like a, quite a bit of training stuff. So that keeps me pretty busy, but, um, yeah, it, it's tough, especially to to watch the, the guys race on the weekends. Yeah, for sure. Hey, pull this mic up real close. You'll be able to move that arm like wherever you want. Yeah, you'll, okay. You'll hear the difference a bit. Yeah, that's way better. Cool. Um, yeah. What What's the um, dude? I, for some reason, like in my head, an ACL is still like a a year out. You know, like you remember back in the day, like oh three, Carmichael did an ACL, and it's like nine months. How far is the whole surgery and rehab stuff come these days? Like, what's the what's the prognosis for an ACL these days, and like, what options and stuff have you got? Um, they usually say four months. That's kind of like the basic now. Um, what I actually did was I I had a tibial spinal fracture, so my ACL actually pulled the top of my tibia off, and uh. it fractured my tibia down. Um, so I did have some partial tearing in my ACL that he had to stitch back up, but I was lucky that I didn't have to get a new ligament. Um, usually mm. with a new ligament, they'll do a, a hamstring or your patella. But um, yeah, I just had, he just cleaned up my meniscus and uh, my ACL, he had to stitch some up and then he had to screw my bone back down. So um, I'm still looking at the pretty much the standard four months. I was six weeks not weight bearing at all because of the bone. 
and uh, now I'm just getting my leg strength back and and strengthening up the joint now. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So like it it has come quite a long way though, eh? Oh yeah, totally. Um, my trainer Nick Nick Way he has done some ACLs and and he was even not too long ago when he did them and and they do they used to go you know big scar up your knee. I know a lot of people that yeah. have ACL surgeries and they're like massive scar up your knee and, and I have like three tiny little scope holes and that's it. Yeah, that's crazy. Eh? It comes so far, man. And then I guess like the the different rehab and I see that on your Instagram, like you're running like the, is it the kinetic? Is that the, like the things that you put on your legs? Yeah. Um, I, I like, I do like Normatex, which is like a compression therapy. Normatec, yeah. Yeah. And yep. then. And then, um, like we have an alter G treadmill that I've been running on, which is, uh, you basically get in a chamber that airs up and it calibrates your weight and you can, you can decide how much weight you want. So like how many, how many percentage oh, of your wow. body weight that you want to run on. So like I started running at 30%, 40% body weight to where just wow. to get my like stride back. And yeah, it's, there's a, quite a bit of stuff that, um, the therapists have that are, you know, able to like get us pretty far along pretty early. How does that feel running with 30% body weight? It's weird at first. It's really weird. It's like, it feels like you're running on the moon, <laughs> but yeah. um, it's, it's cool though, because like I can still run at my normal speed, you know, like a, a normal, my normal pace without it hurting my knee when it was, you know, early on, I'm, I'm up to like 75% now. Um, to where it's pretty pretty close to my body weight but um it's cool because you can still get the pace and, and get like that cardio and get your leg back working without it having abrupt impact on your knee and and uh there's so much stuff that my therapist has me do i'm in there two hours a day so yeah. and so with the therapy side of things where did, like where's that coming from like obviously you're a factory rider you ride for one of the best teams in the sport um, when a rider like you gets injured, what's the protocol? Like, do you have your own therapist that you've always worked with or is that stuff that like monster helps out with or the team or Nick or like, how do you decide the team that you build around yourself? Yeah, I, uh, there's a couple surgeons like, that's the first step. You know, there's a few surgeons basically that most of the riders use in our sport. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. and so Um, I, you know, had recommendations here and there. Luckily I haven't really had a whole lot of stuff in the past that, um, I need to go to a specialist for like a lot of my injuries were, you know, in 2020, I had a collapsed lung. Like that's not something you go to a certain guy, you go straight to the hospital, you know? But, uh, yeah. So I, yeah, like Dr. Greenbaum was my surgeon and a lot of riders in our sport have him, you know, have a lot of knee and shoulder surgeries done by him. Um, so I had him do my, my surgery and then I work with Dr. G, um, for a lot of my physio stuff. And then, uh, actually Dean Wilson recommended me to, uh, a lady nearby where I live. I live in Menifee. So everyone kind of lives around here and, and she's done a lot of his knees and I I just went in and, and kind of, you know, felt it out. And I, I could tell that they were the right people, you know, like, there's, I think there's a difference in just kind of a normal therapy protocol or someone who's like, you know, I'm, I'm down, I, I can grind for two hours if we need to. Like, so, um, yeah. she's done a lot of work with Dean and, and other riders in the past that, um, 
she's aware of what we do and, and what we have to get our knee back to be able to do. Yeah, yeah. How much pain so, are you having to grind through in those sessions? Mm, early on, it was quite a bit. Um, like just to get the mobility back was the first thing. And that yeah. was something I was super, um, like super adamant on and making it right. Um, they say that once you're past about six weeks, that's about what you're going to get out of mobility. And mm. so I was like, I was not down to not have a lot of mobility. I know guys who were like, you know, I didn't take my therapy serious enough. And so like, that was, that was really painful. Like there was times where we'd be, they were cranking on my knee and I was like, I'm not sure if this is right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. But, um, now I'm, I'm to the point where it's pretty, pretty good. Like it's a lot of muscle stuff now trying to get the muscle back because being on crutches for six weeks, my leg was, it was like this big. It was so, yeah, it atrophied so bad. And so just to get my quad firing, we had a lot of different, um, like electrical devices and stuff that they would hook up and, and get my leg back going. But now I'm, I'm pretty far along to where now I'm just trying to get my leg strong around the knee to, to protect it. Like, you know, I'm not going to go back on the bike until my leg is completely strong enough to, to be, you know, confident in it. Yeah. When I, um, when I, I broke my hip last year, like it was, um, I think I did it in like July last year. So I'm like just over 12 months and, um, fuck dude. Like I went in on, uh, I didn't do like rehab as such with like a therapist or whatever, but I was just spent so much time stretching and it was so tight and like, it was insanely tight. And it was that same feeling of, you're just like second guessing yourself the whole time you're on the floor like and and at the Mm -hmm. start man like I actually had a yoga poster on my wall and I'd get up in the morning and I'd like hobble my way out onto the uh onto I got like uh jujitsu mats like all in my living room so I could stretch every day and I would just like work my way through this yoga poster and it was like a full body thing and I'd get to a point and I just couldn't do it anymore and uh and yeah, I just like kept grinding through this uh, poster. And I was actually talking to Will Hahn about it yesterday and saying that, you know, you, I kind of look back now, a year down the track, my hip mobility is so much better than it was even before I broke my hip. And uh, I'm kind of like thankful that I went through it now. Like I learned, I learned so much through that process of trying to get my hip back better to now like I'm kind of dealing with some shoulder stuff like I crashed at Manjumup and then I crashed when I got home and both shoulders it's not really like injury as such but they just don't have mobility they get super tight no matter what I do and now because of that experience with my hip I've kind of got like something to lean on I'm like okay this is the kind of shit that makes your joints work and this is the kind of stretching that really helped out and this is where I got mobility so it's kind of I mean it can be such a a gnarly thing to go through with an injury but like do you feel like you've learned a lot about your body through it um yeah I've been pretty uh I've had a uh, I had a lower back issue in 2019 um that I struggled with a little bit and uh dr g really helped me and helped me realize and you know a few he's of my people around cool me guy, some huh? of my trainers oh he's awesome he man i i could never repay him for what he did for me in atlanta this year and i mean i'm sure we'll get into that but uh like just 
learning that my lower back pain came from my psoas and all those there's so much yeah, stuff in my right. hips and like like you were saying you're breaking a hip like i can't imagine that because so much comes from your hip mobility and your quads like i was like it was really hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that my lower back felt like someone was sticking a yeah. knife in it but then yeah. he would stretch my psoas and i'd stand up and i'd be like how you know so like yeah. i'm that's some a part of my schedule and and my training program that i take like extremely serious is my stretching yeah um, really it's almost like a training session at you know yeah. multiple times at least three to four times a week every day i stretch but i have you know long stretching sessions multiple times a week because um as a racer like you you don't you take it for granted until it's gone you know if you pull something then it's like you, it's so hard to function but if you yeah. can be ahead of it like it's so helpful uh so i would love to talk a little bit more about this uh and learn some stuff that you go through with like that helps with riding um because for me with with jiu-jitsu like the most important position um for me would be to get into like a real deep squat so like you know you see like the asian squat like people can just chill in that yeah. squat for ages can you do that yeah or before you need and that's yeah i haven't done that far yet since my knee but um that's kind of it's kind of funny that was something that uh a couple of my old training partners used to really struggle with and i never understood it because it's like some people have it's like a sh almost like a shin mobility like it i can yes. squat down and stand and they, they would fall over and it like didn't make sense to them how i could do they it but i was like it doesn't make flexion. sense yeah it didn't make sense to me how they couldn't like it wasn't like i was I did so much stretching to get that ability. It was just like, I was like, I don't get it, you know, but, um, there's like, I mean, it's endless. I, I, there's so much that I don't know about stretching, you know, that, but it's a, it's like such a big deal in sport for sure. Oh man, it's insane. So I, that was one of my goals. So like when I started jujitsu, I, the, flexibility is like a funny thing because you don't, know that you need it in so many activities in life because like this chair for example you know like i'm just sitting in this chair and it does the support for you and then when you bend over you just go down on one knee and there's all these different cheats around flexibility in your everyday life and it's not until you perform uh, or like you have these movements required of you that you understand like oh i'm not flexible and, uh, you know, people would like just do the little Littman's test of like bend over, touch your toes and see if you can, you know, touch your toes. And that's like people's idea of flexibility. But um, yeah. when I started doing jujitsu, it, it was funny. Everyone in the class could, they'd get on their knees on the mat and then they'd sit back on their heels. And then that was how people would just chill and watch the instruction of the, of the like techniques that we were learning. And then I, I couldn't do it. And I just had like, yeah. dude, my right knee was just like locked up. And my, so my heel and my ass was like that far apart on my right leg. And I just could not wow. close that gap. And I would get the most gnarly pain down the front of my knee when I did it. And um, so anyway, I went to physios and shit and they were like, oh, it's probably your meniscus is fucked. So, you know, like if it's bothering you, then we'll get some MRIs or whatever. And um, 
And then uh, that was like my first thing where I was like, hey, why can't I do this? Like, this is fucking crazy. And uh, so, dude, I got on a foam roller one night and I rolled my quad for probably mm. 45 minutes and like went all through like my IT band or like the muscle on the inside of your knee and it was excruciating. And I just rolled oh, yeah. on this thing for, for so long and then I got on my floor and I tried to do it. And I actually could, uh, it was like a lot closer. And I was like, shit, this is gnarly. So I, uh, then I um, just doubled down, just went super hard on, I'd always foam roll that part like in my quad. And then I'd, um, there was something, that, oh, I'd got like a, I started YouTube in it because there's so much information on YouTube with mobility and stretching. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing was to get a towel and then uh, put the towel behind your kneecap um and then like in the arch of your knee and then that would like open your knee joint up and um Mm -hmm. it was crazy dude like i felt it honestly felt like blood was flowing into an area that that just had not been blood in so long and so i just kept doing all these little things and it kind of fixed that knee problem and then i did it to the other side and then the next thing was the squat Uh, same deal like what you were saying i couldn't squat down i'd either lean real far forward or real far back and um and then so when i broke my hip that was the process was like i want to be able to sit in a squat for like 10 minutes and now dude like i work on my dirt bike at home and i'm just like in the asian squat and i'm like cleaning parts (laughs) on my bike and i'm in the asian squat and it's like it's made a massive massive difference like just having those two functions of being able to sit back on my heels and then do that asian squat yeah, totally. And and I think it's uh it's something that might be I think a little bit underrated and um I guess uh how can I say it? Like as professional racers, like professional motocross racers and supercross racers, like we all do it a lot and um I guess the general public might not understand it cuz it's not the thing that we post on Instagram. Um you know, it's pretty we post us cycling and us riding and us in the gym. Like that's, you know, that's what it seems to be that we do. But I promise you, every one of those guys has got um, full routines that they do and people to do it with them or for them. Like, um, you know, a lot of guys have Dr. G. There's um, there's multiple different chiropractors and, and doctors that work with guys just full-time for that. Like, that you just get paid full-time just to do that. I think that was actually kind of... Yeah, one of the things that led to the the injury and the crash is that I just didn't have the ability to, like, the muscles stopped and then that then transfers all the pressure into the joint. And I think that even, you know, like the whole knee brace debate that's kind of been going on uh, when we had Rhino on the podcast and then I actually took my knee braces off after that podcast and everyone was like, oh, are you worried about this and that? And there's definitely like i can definitely see where there is benefits protection wise for your knee but then i can also see where there's uh places where it could like hinder you but in my head now i've worked so much on like my internal rotation and external rotation of my hip that i feel like and i've kind of even felt it on the bike and like touch wood obviously like (laughs) fucking hate even talking about this kind of stuff but I've felt times where like my knees caught, uh, my ankles caught a rut and I've just felt like my hip really open up and I feel it more in my hip than in my knee. So it's like there is this transfer of force that runs 
um, through, you know, if you hit your foot, then it goes through to the ankle and then that'll twist the knee and then that'll twist the hip. So I, I really think that hip mobility is probably the thing, um, in my mind at least, that probably um, reduces the chance of knee injuries maybe more than than anything. Yeah, I mean, totally. I, I think I think everything we do is based off your hips um, pretty much for the most part. I mean, your feet are the point of contact, but pretty much everything up to your upper body and up, or down to your lower body is based off your hips. Like, um, it's something that I... I try to be better at every day. Like I think that I don't think you can ever be too good at something like that. Yeah. So uh, when you were talking about Dr. G working on your psoas, so I don't think that many people even know what the psoas muscle is. So had you, did you not know what the psoas muscle was and then you'd never stretched it at all or? Um, I never really targeted it. Um, I did stretches in a stretching routine that, we've done with my trainers and stuff that um that would stretch that but it i that wasn't my goal like i'd be trying to stretch my quad and i i guess that's what i was stretching but um when he first started digging into him it was so painful and i was like it didn't really make sense to me that there was a muscle there like it it seemed like i was like man you're like you're digging into my guts it felt like um like because it you know where it runs up your hips and stuff and uh and then like all I the way up to like up the spine here, like up your ribs. Cages. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, I obviously I saw a bunch of stuff on the so right before he had recommended me to get that. Um, and then like I started using that, and it just doesn't seem right when you start using it. Like it just doesn't feel like it's something that you should do, but it is. Yeah. Like it's it does, it does a lot. Um, yeah, that's like probably one of the. I bet that's one of the tightest muscles on if you took 99% of population um, that'd probably be one of the ones that everyone doesn't really realize and it's really tight oh man and especially riding motocross so the the technical uh, for people that are listening actually I spoke to Deegan about the so right because he was saying that he like has a lot of lower back pain and I was like, dude, you're probably getting lower back pain. Like if your back's on this side, your the pain is down here, but that would be because it's getting pulled down by the psoas muscle, which is in front. So I, I sent Deegan a link to get that. But man, when I first, I've had my so right for like, I don't know, probably a couple of years now. And when you're sitting at a desk, like I'll do I'll do nine, 10 hours a day at a desk. Like it's pretty fucking disgusting. And, uh, my I can feel now because I've got them loose like I can get my psoas loose I know what it feels like when it's tight but I think most mm-hmm. people only know what it feels like for it to be tight so now like I'll do 20-30 minute motos on the the so right and <laughs> you're right dude when I first got that thing I was like this is like ruining my intestines or something I was like this actually yeah. can't be good and do you get like the full muscle spasms and it's like freaking oh, yeah. out and you get like crazy sharp pains and you're just sitting there going like, man, I'm, I'm legitimately ruining my insides right now. Oh, totally. I'll, I'll roll my yoga mat out, like just in the living room or whatever. And my girlfriend's making dinner and I'm just like huffing and puffing. And she's like, what are you doing over there? Right? Like you're just stretching like that doesn't like, what are you doing? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like I said, like even my crash in Atlanta that most people have seen like I've credit 
flexibility to a lot of things. I mean, if I'm 25% or 20% less flexible, uh, that could not be good. I think like, yeah, I, I really, that almost opened my eyes even more and was like motivated me to be like even more flexible. Cause you know, if like I've, we've watched it over and over again in different types of ways and on our film team film to see how it happened and what happened. And, and like, if you watch it, like your body shouldn't do that. Like it's dude, I'm going to send very you not a good. video. I, c- I completely agree. I'm about to DM you a video on Instagram. So what you just said is so true. And then watch, um, I just DM'd you this video. Reese Wilson is, uh, he's like the current downhill world champ. You can see in uh, this crash video, oh, I wonder if that's the, I wonder if that's the right one. But there's a photo of him. I'll try and like scroll through that post. But there's a photo of oh. him. Did you get it? Mm-hmm. I'm so, right oh, man, I, that's I really want to find. Yeah, so there's a, man, I wish I could find the freeze frame. We actually spoke about, um, we're messaging back and forth after after that crash um all right so i'll just explain it for the people that can't see it but yeah he's fully pancaked so like uh reese wilson downhill world champ goes over the bars like massive massive over the bars and he's wearing clips obviously so he's uh stuck to the bike and he just does like his body literally folds in half and he got up and finished the run and it was huge this crash and uh i messaged him after and I was like, dude, you been doing your stretches or what? And he's just like, if I was not as flexible as I am, he's like, that crash would have fucking killed me. But you can just see his whole body's just folded over. And, um, and yeah, we started sort of talking back and forth. He's like, man, I put so much into my stretching because of those kind of crashes. And your Atlanta crash is, a, is another great example of flexibility because if you don't – if you aren't flexible and you're crashing and moving in an awkward way like that the tightness in a muscle has to transfer to a a joint and yeah i mean i just i don't think people in their daily life and and you you know like you see just the average rider you know like a vet rider or a dude like me that's not that good at riding like you can have kind of a small crash and it can like really jack you up uh, and mm-hmm. I think so much of that is just because there's such a lack of mobility that that force gets transferred. Even the slightest thing, there's just no give anywhere in the system. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, even I think sometimes, uh, you know, ex-racers, like when if you've been at the at the highest level and then you retire or whatever and then come back to riding, like, Um, I've talked to a lot of guys and they're like, man, my body just doesn't let me do what I want to do. Like I am capable of going like they, they don't even like riding because they're like, it's not fun. Like I feel like I have to ride slow because of all the things holding you back and you don't really appreciate it, how good our bodies are when like our whole life revolves around making it as good as it can possibly be to perform at the highest level. Like, so it's, it's kind of hard. It's just what you get. What's normal to us is just to be like, have the best of everything for your body and then when i think when that goes away it's like it's way different but yeah it's like it's an endless topic 
are there any um are there any things that you would work on like if you had advice to people that were listening to this um what are like the real big keys in your mind um that people should implement into their daily life like when it comes to mobility and stretching uh i think your your groins like your inner inner thighs um your hamstrings and your and your uh, psoas i think those are like the three you know that's basically the three ways your legs move and from your from your leg movement that's all from hips and like i mean i know a lot of people that like you said you sit at a desk all day and you don't realize it but that like i mean i struggle with a lot like i, I would i wouldn't have back pain on a normal day basis but then i see it bounce a three out of a corner and super cross and immediately i'm like dang it like i did it again you know and it was like it would i would struggle forever with it but um and that's like some people that feel like that when they stand up like yeah 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 no nah, it's um yeah super cool to hear you talk about it the, the way that you are do you do much uh like trigger point stuff as well like lacrosse balls and shit like that uh yeah nick's nick loves the lacrosse balls <laughs> he's all about those things yeah and uh yeah that's like another thing down our it bands and and stuff like that not not a crazy amount um just in our own routine that we do like i don't i don't have um when i like get massages done i I don't don't have that stuff done just because sometimes um like a trigger point massage unless i have an issue that i'm dealing with sometimes i feel like a deep tissue or, or like when they really hit trigger points can make me more sore um you know, and usually when I get a massage, it's to feel better for a race or whatever it might be. And sometimes yeah. after those really deep ones, like you'll feel more sore, you'll be bruised for like a couple of days. We don't really have time yeah. for that. Do you do you ever get like because uh, I've got and I think it's from years of uh, so when like I was filming, you'd have these heavy red cameras and you're in this position and like your shoulders forward, so like you can literally see my left shoulder like shoulder blade muscles like to the left of my uh, like to the left of my spine are a certain size and then the ones to the right is like way bigger because of like the overuse and i've Mm -hmm. found that i've just got these like crazy crazy knots and i think that i'll just be dealing with them for ages so like i actually spend i probably do as much trigger point stuff as i do um, stretching just because there's so much like scar tissue and shit in there and I think that um, it's probably maybe a bit different for you because like it's you've been an athlete for so long um, mm-hmm. but I would bet that there would be so many people out there that just are like normal people that have their normal job and there'd be these like crazy tight spots of tissue that they just would never work on and would never um, like you'd never get rid of that that knot and you never going to be able to stretch the muscles like i remember i went to um to eddie castillas one time and i was i was coming back from surfing and i was in in my car and i just had the craziest pain in my shoulder blade uh and my lower back and i went to see eddie and uh he was like doing some like massage and stuff he's like dude you you literally can't fix this until these knots have settled down because it's like trying to stretch a rope with a, a knot in it like you're only going to make the knot tighter um yeah so yeah it's like it's a 
it's a fucking crazy deal like in terms of maintenance that you've got to kind of put your body through and you can see like one of my biggest fears man is being like an old dude that's hunched over and you know like you can you see those people where their body it just slowly starts to collapse on them yeah i i say that all the time to my close people i'm like man i want to do everything i can like obviously the sport i picked and and the job i picked is gonna I'm going to feel some stuff when I'm 50, you know, like that's just yeah. the inevitable, but I want to be as best as I can, like, because I do see that a lot. And it's like, I mean, especially with injuries, if, if you don't take care of them properly, um, they show back up, that's for sure. So that's, that's kind of like something right now that I'm, I've always kind of been the guy that like, I, I'll do whatever it takes to be back on the bike. Like I want to race. If I could, I'd race these last five rounds outdoors right now. Like, I would do anything I could. But um, I've learned, too, that it's like I've rushed injuries before. I think probably every racer has. And it just never, ever works out. Like, it never works out for the better. Um, Obviously, if you're in a situation where you you need to ride through an injury, like, that's something different. But um, that's why the this thing with my knee right now, like, even you know my my upper management and and, uh you know my bosses they're super adamant about like get that thing right like you know we we want to be good when when we need to be good so um that's that's part of honestly having good people around you too because um it's nice to be able to uh have people on the same page or or working for your best interest like that's that's the biggest thing so we touched on dr g I feel like a lot of people listening to this would have heard of Dr. G and know Dr. G, but why do so many people uh, go to and use Dr. G, in your opinion? Honestly, I think that the real reason is is because like, it only takes one time for you to have something that you don't feel like is fixable in a very short amount of time, and somehow he can always make it like happen. Um, and for me, my first experience with Dr. G was 2017. Um, I was, a f- well, I filled in, I filled in for Geico for the end of Supercross season. And then I had the full season of outdoors and I just had come out to California. My first time out here, um, I raced Glen Helen and then I was getting ready to race. It would have been hanged. No, sorry. I raced, raced Hangtown and then race Glen Helen, and then the Tuesday after Glen Helen, I had a crash um, at Paula, like a super dumb little practice crash, and I hurt my shoulder really bad, and uh, Christian Craig, like I was pretty close with him, and he was on the team, he got a hold of G and said, hey, this kid's going to come in, and, and so on and so forth, and, and G straight up treated me, I felt like he would have treated Dungy when he was working on him, like that's how he was, and he had no clue who I was. And like right from there, and I had obviously heard about Dr. G all around and saw him at the races and so on and so forth. And like he was like just down to do whatever it took to to get me better. And he was sending me to like his MRI people. And I, you know what I mean? I had an MRI within an hour and a half. Like you usually wait for weeks to get MRI sometimes. So like he utilized all his resources to make me the best I could be. And like he didn't even know me. So right there, I was like, man, like I want to work with this guy. And I still had lived in South Carolina at the time on the other side of the country. And then, but now that I live in California, like I, I live an hour and a half from G 
And um, there's times when I go to him three days a week. Like, and even, you know, even when I don't have any issues, I go to him at least once to twice a week just because, like, he, I mean, he does so much, like, so much for us. And then at the races, that's another huge thing. Like, um, like I talked about in Atlanta, I was after the second Atlanta when I crashed, I was in his hotel room for hours a day. Like, I mean, it was, you know, and then he has to, even now with the COVID stuff, when that was going on, um, he has protocols that he has to deal with. So he like, he would just make it happen. And like, I truly don't know if I could even swing my leg over a bike by Saturday if I wasn't working with him all the whole time. Like, and immediately like, um, and I, I'm not even like full time with G like there, there's guys that have him hired full time, you know, that are like they, they pay him a salary and he goes to the races or, or however they, it works out. And, uh, even though I wasn't one of his full guys, he was at the truck right afterwards and he knew, you know, he's like, we got to start working on that thing for Saturday. And like, he worked on me Tuesday night after that crash. So like, he's just super committed and he for sure has what all of us riders best interest. And so like, it's always good to have a guy like that in your corner. And, and he does some stuff that, I mean, you kind of have to let it like prove, prove it to yourself when you don't really feel like I'm like, even actually Saturday, I'm sure you saw that I had that big crash in practice and it made my leg even worse. And I was, I was really super unsure if I was going to be able to race Saturday night. And he worked on me, did a bunch of, you know, he has his machines at the races. He's got, he's just got so much that we need and that is helpful to us that, um, it's pretty hard not to, you know, have him in your corner. And even, you know, like being around, uh, G the time that, that I've been around him, I think the, there's kind of an important aspect to his program as well which is just like the belief that he has that he can get you guys back on track and it's like i'm sure that there's so much self-doubt that's in your mind about should i race how bad is this injury am i actually okay uh and then you get a guy like g that's got so much experience and that's been through so many guys injuries and you can trust that guy like you know that he ain't a dude that's been around the races for a year or two that's trying to make a name for himself and be a hero like he's so solidified in that uh in this sport that he ain't gonna tell you he's gonna not gonna be like cameron you go out man you got this when when he feels like you don't have it so i mean is that even just like a huge part of it yeah totally he's he's super straightforward and like you said like he he doesn't have to prove anything to anyone he's worked with almost every one of the best guys in our sport um and he's he's super straight up and he's like he's there to do what you need him to do so like even if he's like super unsure if you know it's going to be possible for you to make it happen that night he's going to do everything he can to make you as best as you can then it's you know he'll if if i've ever i've asked him before like hey do you think it's going to be possible and he'll be like i think it's possible you know I, i do like i think that if you do this this and this you can make it happen and he's never really steered me wrong yeah yeah i mean just that that confidence that you can have in a person um because i'm sure man there's like so much self-doubt when you are dealing with an injury as to like whether or not you should ride and then 
there's like the pressure that you'd feel from the team not that the team is trying to get you out there but there is a pressure like you ride for pro circuit like you're in the championship you're one of the top guys like you're winning these main events so to have someone that can give you you know the confidence to go out there and still perform it it must just be so huge yeah for sure and it's a group too like that was that's something i've learned like later on or as my careers progressed like you're only as good as the group of people around you and like that's so true like i have between having nick um i work with g and and even mitch like he's you know i've built a pretty close relationship with him and and uh you know like those guys really like they have your best interest and you know nick is super he's been through it all he's dealt with anything that i could probably deal with he's dealt with it in our sport and and uh like he i know he has the best interest in mind and uh like there's just a certain sense of confidence that comes with that when you know you've got a few guys that um are so proven and they they you know have shown that they do know what it takes and have what it takes to be at the very top um completely in your corner that's like there's a lot of confidence that comes with that for sure and even especially mitch too he's um he's straightforward and you know he's like he he cares too which is really cool so we'll get into that atlanta crash then a little bit like while we're kind of on the topic with g and and injuries and training so do you do you remember that well did you see the the comments i made about that as well first of all (laughs) yeah i saw i mean it was crazy obviously after it happened but yeah i saw that when you guys had that what was it was it it wasn't a podcast but it was was something that you posted that i think we i think Um, it was it was on um maybe it was like with sleeter me me and sleeter were talking about it after the race i don't know if i saw that so yeah so i mean i i said like you looked out to me like you looked like you were knocked Mm -hmm. out and i've seen Mm -hmm. enough like i've seen enough concussions on like ufc and motocross to know that like when a body goes limp in that way that there's like you lost consciousness so Mm -hmm. that's me just watching tv and speaking out of my ass so from your uh the horse's mouth do you feel like you were out at all through that crash and like what can you remember um i've been knocked out before for sure i've had concussions and i can i could step you through i mean obviously when you have a big crash like it's going crazy but i i'm completely i I opened my eyes as soon as i like stopped flying and moving and i looked across the stadium i could see and i remember the thoughts that went through my head i was totally awake i i never actually got knocked out um and then i moved my legs i knew i was like okay I'm, i can move my legs and the reason i actually laid there so long and, and didn't stand up right away was because my like i got such a bad shock to my groin and my inner thigh that my leg was like dead like i i could move my toes mm. but my leg i couldn't i couldn't stand up so when the medics got up there i was i was actually telling them like slide me down like i'm okay nothing's broke slide me down the bridge so we can get me off the track and they, they weren't willing to do that, obviously, for, I'm sure they saw it, and they were like, no, we're not moving you that quick, you know, in case of my neck or anything like that, which was smart of them, but I was like, just get me down, and, and then finally, you know, my legs started kind of coming back around to where I could move it, and that's when I got back up, but um, 
Yeah, I mean, I can I can totally remember hitting the the little double, catching the kicker, thinking that shit, my season's over. Like, or you know, the championship fight. Like, I that was that was my first thought when I looked up and all you could see was dust, and I was I mean, it was not good. Um, but yeah, I was totally totally awake the whole time, and um, that was like one of the biggest concerns with the medics and stuff that they ran me through a bunch of stuff and and uh doc seen me before not in a very good spot too with you know after being knocked out and um i felt like they made the right call with you know my health like it was it was gnarly but um i do know that when you're not in your right mind if you do get a concussion you're gonna be like yeah let me race you know so like that was a it was a super tough decision for them to make but um yeah, rewatching it, I can totally see how um, there were a lot of people unhappy about it, thinking that I was knocked out for sure, um, because you know I was fairly limp looking. Um, but if you watch it super close, as soon as I land and stop like flipping, I my, my leg moves and my my hand kind of moves mm-hmm. and I move like right away. But I just kind of laid there like assessing myself in a sense. Yeah, I mean, so I was conflicted with it because obviously personally i really like you and then there's this like so it is hard because like so we're watching it live on supercross companion and then i'm seeing it and then i'm thinking so like have you have you looked too much into like concussions and second impact syndrome and all that sort of stuff or yeah yeah i've um i've had a couple you know head deals where i've hit my head super bad and and uh, I'm, I'm very aware of that if you have a concussion and you stack a concussion on top of that, not good. Like, and, you know, I've always been, I've always kind of said how I am, will do whatever it takes and, you know, like it doesn't matter. But that's something that I won't mess with is my head. Um, like, I was pretty confident that I was. You know, I was confident enough to go out and race a, a main event in Supercross that I, I had a, you know, I was okay with my head. And um, I was more concerned about my leg and my shoulder, um, whether it was going to hold up. I didn't know if I tore something in my shoulder or what, but I knew that I would know as soon as I went down the start straight. And then if if it wasn't going to work, then I would pull off. But yeah, I knew I had to give it a shot. Yeah, and I mean, so this is the second part of it. So the first part of it is like, me sitting in the room being like dude if you have hit your head the way that you just did and then you go out and you hit your head again this could be extremely bad for your health long term and i'm speaking on this as uh i almost watched robbie madison die at his just Mm -hmm. in his front yard by again second impact syndrome like he had a crash and then he went out and he hit his head again got knocked out he ended up being in a coma for a few days like so i'm like legitimately traumatized around that topic you know and Mm -hmm. it's like that's the one side of it so then the second side of it is what you did in that main event after you crashed is maybe one of the more remarkable rides i've ever seen in supercross and it set you up with just this insane respect from riders and insane respect from fans i mean dude you just you earned 
everybody's respect that night based on the way that you gutted out a performance and as motocross fans like that's what we want from our riders like we want that's like we hold our head up as like we're tough guys like we know how to go through it and and we'll put our bodies on the line so you represented everything that like us motocrossers feel about our sport so doc bodner says no you can't ride because of hitting your head and it's too risky to your health i'm fine with it but on the flip side we don't get to see that incredible performance that you did so i mean it is a really really hard topic yeah totally i appreciate that but yeah i mean it's uh it would have been it's a hard position for the docs to be in for sure you know because um if they do release me and it doesn't go right then it's it's totally on their shoulders right or that's how they feel and and so um i imagine that's a really hard position to be in uh, the AMA, that's a hard position to be in. It was, it was just a, like a, it was not a good circumstance all around. And, you know, from my standpoint of, you know, how it's, it was like everything, everyone was like, man, that was the most spectacular thing ever. I was like, I'm kind of like, I don't think I'm so gnarly for it. I was just like, I was okay. Like, as long as I'm okay, I go race, like no matter what. And I think, I mean, I believe that a lot of guys in our sport do, especially in the position I'm in. You know, I'm four points out of the championship, and there's a lot that comes with winning a championship as a supercross racer. And uh, yeah, so I mean, like if I broke a collarbone in that, which is very possible, I'm not able to race. Like it's it's not really even physically possible. But I was just fortunate enough to be not actually injured, just banged up, and so like I. I told myself, because I, I thought the race was over, I, I actually didn't know what the red flag rules were, first of all. Um, yeah. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know that that was what the actual rule was, that I was able to, I was under the impression that I probably wouldn't have been able to do that. Um, but I ran back to my mechanic and I said, head back to the line, we're going to see what we can do. And so we headed back and I told him, I was like, I want to race. And then I was just going to let them figure out what the deal was. If they're going to tell me, no, you have to go back because the red flag was for you. Then that's what they tell me, but I can't go out without trying. And like, it just all kind of worked in my favor and, and like it came out and I was able to race. Um, but yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy because it, it was actually kind of funny how the reaction to that night went from everyone. And then, um, just four days later, Saturday, I had a couple oh. things happen and then yeah. it's, it's, it's funny because you can kind of watch it from the TV or watch it from whatever standpoint and, and base it off of what happened on Tuesday. And the, the response to Saturday was, it basically went from, Oh my gosh, you're a hero to what's this guy doing on a dirt bike. And he's not in his right mind. And, and I mean, you name it, it was said, which it's whatever. Like it doesn't, doesn't bother me. Like, um, but trust me, like for all day, every day for the next four days, I was in physicians, I was in doctors, I was, I had concussion tests done. I had like, you name it, I had it done and I was, I was okay to ride. Like I was, I was perfectly fine to race. Um, my crash in practice was due to, I came up short on a quad and, and it like jacked my leg and then I, I crashed. Like that was it. It wasn't because I wasn't mentally clear. I mean, I qualified second and then, um, the first, 
the first uh, race of the or the first start of the main event on Saturday. Uh, I ran wide like it was like a kind of a double apex first turn into a rhythm section. Well, I was far, far left and I kind of got jumped into, you know, pushed wide into the tough blocks, caught a tough block and, and it shot me underneath the pack and Chris Blows crashed off me, which was like terrible. I hate to see that. But immediately it's turned into, oh, the reason that happened was because of X, yeah. Y, and Z, what happened prior. And like it had nothing to do with it. I mean, it was brother. absolutely, <laughs> yeah, totally. And, and I mean... And I mean, like, you know, I would never want what happened there to happen. And then um, I had a goofy crash actually with my teammate in the whoops, like him and someone else got together and we've laughed about it now, but they got together and he was crashing and I ran into the back of him because I was, I mean, I don't know if all you guys have ever skimmed a set of supercross whoops, but when you're doing it, you can't really stop in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah. And so I ran into the back of him while he was crashing and kept him up and then I crashed and so it was just like it spiraled out of control and then it was just kind of a, such a bummer the way that ended because um you know like i did everything i could possible to keep myself in the fight and then i was out of the fight after that night but you know that was a huge learning curve like basically from yeah. the first atlanta from from the heat race of the first atlanta to the end of atlanta i it was like it seemed so disastrous for me. Like I had such a, like such a s consistent season all the way up until there. And like, that was something that I've really focused on in the last actually two years. Like that was been my main focus since I started working with Nick and working with this team and all the people I have around me is that, you know, everyone is pretty aware that I will, I will leave it everything out on the track. That's, I mean, it's pretty obvious with me, but the th one thing that I needed to fix was my consistency, my, you know, bringing it down a notch and, and actually being aware of all the things that's going on. And, and like, I felt like I had that dialed in all the way. Like I was, I had great heat races. I had, I was on the podium every race, but one in Texas. And so like it was going so great. And then it just like exploded in Atlanta. The wheels came off the way. But I, yeah, but I, like, I still felt like I was able to manage it pretty well. Like I still podium the first two Atlantas won my heat race in the second one like and then like the third one it, it just the wheels fell off and it was it was just such a bummer like it was a lot of learning though that that's one thing like I, I learned so much because like I definitely learned that you you win them or lose them on your bad nights that's for sure and that's like you know watching the 450 guys we only race nine rounds they race 17 like and for those guys to like to gun so hard for 17 rounds it's just it's consistency you know that's how you how you win it and like that's i'm glad i'm going through this learning curve now that way here in a couple of years when i you know hopefully do have the opportunity to be on a 450 and competing up up top there that you know you've gone through these things so what would you do different like let's say you've learned these lessons that you had to learn through the Atlanta swing if you could go back and start again obviously you can't be like oh well I just would like not do this but let's say you have the first Atlanta crash uh what do you do differently um to try and just get through that and stay in the fight like you said um I think that the first Atlanta or the second Atlanta when I had the big crash um 
I've watched it so many times and I really don't like we've kind of decided how it happened but it wasn't um I didn't feel like it was something out of panic it wasn't something that it just was a complete racing incident for me and I just crashed like um some of the stuff that happened in the second Atlanta the the practice deal like that might have been a little bit ego driven uh I felt like like I put one lap down and I was second on the board but I really had felt like I could I could be P1 on the board and um I did did one more lap at the end and that one more lap really set my night up for you know not to be the greatest uh like that was a big crash in practice and uh that was huge so that that's like that's one of those things yeah like totally and and we had the plan to to go out there and and set a decent time and that's what i did and then i i just i felt like i had a little more so you know maybe maybe hold back from that like that was it was an unnecessary lap i could have you know i went over the thing and there was two minutes left in practice i could have just cruised around the track checked out some lines and and called it a day of practice and sweet we got through p2 or three whatever it was and but i didn't i chose not to yeah so like those are just just a couple there's just those little things that um when you're in the middle of a situation and then in the main event like when i crashed in the whoops behind hammocker i think i was in fourth um and there was two big sets of whoops which were really good for me that night and like maybe being a little bit more patient you know not not trying skim by two guys in the whoops you know when they started jumping them halfway through like so just little, little things like that but it's really hard to to go back and be like, man, I wish I'd have done this or that. Cause as a racer, that's what you do every night at the end of a, I mean, at least me, like at the end of a night, if it didn't go your way, like you lay in the hotel and you're like, man, if just this one thing would have been different or just this one thing. And then you could, you could spin your wheels forever. But, um, mm-hmm. the biggest thing is to learn from it. Like I, I did learn from it and like, it'll show for sure. Yeah, man. No, it's cool. It's definitely cool, um, the perspective that you have around um, something like that. So let's talk a little bit then because this even though – so I have to, like, put my, my like, uh, my big boy hat on here and put aside my personal uh, like for you as a dude. If you cause a red flag – in the way that that you did with your crash do you think the rules should let you race um honestly no i i don't think uh it's it's such a it's such a weird deal like like i've seen it in so many perspectives and you know if you crash on lap one um it's hard for me to say this too because you know, I'm saying against like what the rules are, but like I was one lap down, you know, I was, I was one lap down from the rest of the field and, uh, I got a fresh start. Like, you know, it's, that's, that's the thing though. Like it it wasn't my fault. Like, like I got a lot of flack from my competition who I was fighting with, you know, like there was, there was a lot of BS that night. Um, I had my girlfriend was getting screamed in her face talking about how we were cheating <laughs> and she's really? like huh like I'm just glad he's alive you know what I mean like we're like yeah, this is yeah. down by the podium that night and she's just like I'm just glad he's okay like I don't even know really what's going on she's there to support and hang 
and it was just it was pretty crazy the response towards me for it i'm like like if any of you guys ever anyone fighting for that championship had the same situation they're racing they're gonna go out there and race if if they get allowed to like i didn't make the rule book you know but um man it's a weird thing like because you know you've i've seen a lot of people say well yeah if i crash on lap one then i'm gonna lay there with one eye open until they red flag it it's pretty obvious that that's not what i did but um yeah yeah there's also been there's yeah i mean there's also been other situations this i think it was just this season when there was a start a start crash on a red flag um i don't remember who it was but the the track came back across over the start they had to red flag it and he got back up and raced so i mean it's happened for sure before um i can't say i totally agree with it like i was really pretty blown away that they were gonna let me race like i was like hmm that's surprising but i mean if the the guys who run run us say i can i'm racing you know yeah and and that's the thing like you're so innocent in this situation in in terms of Mm -hmm. you didn't want to crash like if you got third after fucking yourself up like that you probably were in for a chance to win that main event so you probably best case scenario for you is not crash not jack yourself up not have to ride a twisted bike to third there's a lot of uh, scenarios where like you don't want that to happen the problem is is that let's say like it's essentially it's just a loophole in the rules so let's say like cooper webb is down four points on kenny and you know second lap of the race he's like or first lap of the race he's like buried in the pack you have some kind of crash and like get you know it's hard to it's hard to even say like how you do it but the 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 problem is is that you you could do it and then coop gets up rips a whole shot wins the start uh wins the race full points championship swing so i i don't think the question is around like whether you did that on purpose i think that no that yeah, should huh. be put to bed and then it's also not up to you to be like you know what guys this isn't fair it's like well fuck the rules is the rules i they say i can race yeah. so i'll go race so there's like there's nothing to blame here on you but i think what it did do was it did expose a loophole uh in the you know our racing system to where you could game this part of the system and it could have huge championship implications yeah i mean i would i would agree with that and um you know i can't say if i wrote the rule book that i would i would um let that happen i can't say that i would um but i guess i just don't really if i if i if it was reversed and i had my competitor that happened to them um i think probably at first i'd be like what the heck how are they gonna let him race so on and so forth yeah. And then I think really if I if I saw what happened and stuff I would just I would be stoked the guy's okay. Be glad he was honestly. okay. Honestly. Like yeah. that Yeah, like I mean I I can genuinely say that like I I'm not friends with many of the guys I race. Like I'm really not. I'm not there to make friends. Um I don't chit-chat in the tunnel and and bro down with guys. I I just I'm there to do my job and um I have a lot of respect for the guys I race. But I'm not close buddies with any of them but i also um is my if is if i was one point apart from a guy on the last race i would never ever want to see someone do that crash or any big crash like our sport needs us all and you know we need all the top guys racing like competing and um 
so that was just kind of something that was, you know, a little bit unfortunate. There was a little bit of pushback when, yeah, I don't think it was necessary, you know, just towards mm. like just direct. Exactly. It should be the pushback, pushback towards yeah. the rules, and, not you. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, they, they, it, I could care less. Like it, like I'm pretty, pretty thick skin, but it was just pretty surprising. It, it, I think it kind of exposed a little bit of, um, you know, character in some people and, and like even, even actually some, a couple of the racers that I straight up race against, like the, the, like even Cooper in the press conference, he was like, man, like after seeing that crash, I'm glad, I'm glad he's okay. You know, which was like, that's cool. Like that's, that shows that, you know, it's the same way for all of us. And, and, um, you know, I would think the same for those guys, but I think if I was in that moment and I was against my guy, I lined back up or if it was against the guy I was fighting with or whatever, and I lined back up on the gate and I saw him line back up, your initial thought would be like, are you serious? Like he's lining back up. Like, you know, I, I was leading that main event and he's lining back up now and I have to re-pull this whole shot and, and try and do what I did again. But it's just something that's like, it's so rare for something like that to happen. But, um, yeah. who knows? It, it might change for next year. I, I got a bit of a suggestion to what I think could uh, happen and, and be uh, a, a good productive kind of rule change is I think that if you cause a red flag and you go out of the race with the injury and it gets restarted, I feel like there should be some kind of like pit lane kind of um, like start from pit lane, kind of like what they do in Formula One. Um, or so Lewis Hamilton hit Verstappen a couple of weeks ago, put Verstappen out of the race. So he, he DNF and then he got a 10 second time penalty. So I think that maybe there's something that we could implement that says, okay, if you crash and it causes a red flag, you can rejoin the race, but you have to start from like pit lane or a gate or like they drop the gate and then they have to like, you have to pull in and then they redrop the gate for you. Um, and I think that that's probably mm-hmm. fair, you know, because again, it sets you up to have, like, I think from, from my like, uh, media lane perspective, it's like, dude, imagine how dope it would be to watch a guy that had this crazy crash and he's okay. And then he starts, you know, a second gate drop completely by himself. Like that's pretty dramatic. And then you're there, mm-hmm. you know, trying to work your way through the pack. Like that's a whole nother storyline to kind of um follow it doesn't completely eliminate you from the race and the championship but there is a penalty to where it makes it more fair for a guy like cooper that you know he went out he got the whole shot he did his thing and then had to go and redo that uh again with you on the same gate as him so i think there is a way to have a happy medium to where it's not just an automatic dnf but there is something in place to where there is a penalty um, for you for causing that red flag and then uh, being able to rejoin the race. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think that, you know, I, I definitely don't have all the answers for the rules. And um, I know that the people that, that do write the rules and that are in control of it, like that's their job. They're doing everything they can or whatever they feel like is the best. So, um, you know, I'm sure that that, that, circumstance or what happened in Atlanta is gonna I'm sure there'll be a lot of conversations about it for the next following years rule books you know I'm sure that that'll raise some concern and and there's like there's endless amounts of rules that you can make I think that you know it might have just been something that 
was never, I guess, exposed. Like you were saying, like there was just kind of like a little loophole that they're like, well, maybe we could reword this for this to happen. I'm not sure. Like, I guess I'm not, I try to be the least amount critical on, on stuff like that just because I know it's a, it's a tough, tough job for the guys who were in position to decide whether I could race and so on and so forth. Like it's, it's tough. I've been on the, I've been on the backside of the rules too, you know, with getting points docked. I was last year. Um, you know, I got three points docked for, uh, uh, what happened in the whoops in Texas and, and I didn't feel like I should get three points docked, but that wasn't up to me. Like it was up to them. Yeah. I got three positions taken away, you know, the same night, another rider pinned it down the side of the whoops and got one position taken away. I could go on and on, but it's not up to me. I don't make the rules. So I'm just going to, you know, I deal with the rules of the series and, and I'm going to do the best that I can do to, you know, not be in a position to be affected by the rules. Yeah, no, that, that, and, and as an athlete, that's all you can do and all you should do. Um, I definitely think that the, there is some work that needs to be done when it comes to the AMA and enforcing those rules because man, it just like, it's just confusing. Like, I'm pretty fucking balls deep in this sport, and I scratch my head at almost every decision that gets made on some of these these calls, and that there's no transparency. It seems like it's completely at the discretion of uh, an official on the day. And then you can see guys that the AMA doesn't like. Jason Anderson, perfect example. Like, that dude could literally come on a podcast and say a thousand examples of the way that he's been fucked by the rules. And it's like, there's so much of it. Like, I'm obviously a huge fan of his, but, you know, in the same way that I'll try and be objective about your situation, I look at his shit, I'm just like, what are they up to? Like, what are they actually (laughs) up to? And I think that, you know, it's kind of... Like, if you look at Formula One and if you look at MotoGP, it's so clear and it's so uh controlled and the way things are implemented and i i think that for supercross like this sport is getting better supercross is getting better supercross is getting bigger there's more people riding than ever i mean we've got you know we go months where there's a million unique people that watch our youtube channel like that's a lot of people that are into dirt bikes so it's like there's a Mm -hmm. really good opportunity here for this sport to grow and i think part of that is like the package has to get better of like the whole sport in general you know so i really really think that there needs to be for me anyway i think that there needs to be professional flaggers and i think that there needs to be like a legitimate race control like not dudes down on the track that are um you know that are like kind of making calls on headsets as they're going along but i think we need to have like a legitimate race control in the tower communicating with all the teams there's like a race control frequency there's you know race controllers directing each individual flagger so that we don't end up with like ken roxon cooper webb situations like i think that there's yeah there's so much in our sport that is just like this insanely high level package and then there's guys that are on the track flagging that really don't have that much idea which is going on and it's just like i don't think that the sport can progress um <laughs> while we've got you know just sort of tom dick and harry on the with the flags controlling the outcome of like the most premier form of two-wheeled dirt bike racing in the world mm-hmm. yeah i mean i've 
I think that you know, there's with anything there can be things to be fixed for sure. I mean, I I don't like I said earlier. I I don't have the answers. I don't. Um, I guess my job is just to to go race and perform. But yeah. even like a flagger thing, like I had a a deal with one of the flaggers. Well, not actually a flagger. It was a medic, but it kind of went back to the flagger at the first round of Supercross this past year um, when when Alex Martin was down and there was the oh, Red Cross yeah. and I followed I That's followed right. Cooper's line yeah I followed right behind him and the flagger had a I think a Red Cross out so we were rolling through those little rollers and then Martin was laying in the turn and, and the medic Cooper went by him and the medic didn't see me coming and I was just kind of going off his back wheel pace i was just rolling through there and he jumped across the track to get to alex and i i ran right into him smoked him like you know and the only the only option i had was to take full responsibility of it because as a racer like i have to like you have to take full responsibility of every action that happens on the track off the track everything where you know maybe do i truly believe that i was fully responsible for that I don't know, but, um, you know, like that I think could have been avoided and how could it have been avoided? I don't have the answers for, I don't know whether it was the flagger before or whether every flagger should have a red, red flag. Like I've seen that, but then also, yeah, we have to have trained flaggers to where something doesn't happen in the middle of a race and they accidentally pull a red flag out. Like, so I think that's just, uh, you know, hopefully they have the guys hired to make those decisions. And I think that, you know, our sanctioning bodies are working hard to, to be better and and to be the best they can. So like, I think that hopefully that, you know, it continues to evolve with us. You're such a nice guy. You got a nice way of saying everything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How do you feel about, uh, how do you feel about headsets in the helmet? Like if you had uh, like a race control, like not necessarily two-way communication so that you could speak back, but how would you feel about uh, having like a race control come through to your headset for situations like red flags, lappers, um, yellow flag deals, red cross flags? Like would you, would you be down with that or do you think that's a terrible idea? I'm not totally against it. Um, I've ridden with a headset before. Um, in 2019, when I rode for Troy Lee, um, in that summer, uh, Troy himself was working with one of the companies that makes those headsets for dual-way communication with the mechanic. And I, I tried it a little bit at a practice track, and it was pretty early on in it, and um, it was it was a little bit distracting for me. But, you know, I think every... Well, pretty much every other form of racing does have communication, especially F1. Um, but it would be, I think there'd be a lot of stuff to have to happen for us to learn how to use it and for it to be used properly. Uh, but I, I'm not totally against it. Like I think it, it could be really beneficial for us. Um, but it's just like, I can't say it's tough either because of the noise and stuff like that because I'm sure it's not quiet driving a Formula One car or a NASCAR. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I think that I think that that's something that could be, you know, tapped into for sure. Like, um, as long as everyone has access to it, you know, as long as every rider, every privateer, everyone has a, an earpiece and has access to communication, whether it's to the mechanics, whether it's to, 
an AMA official, race control, saying what's going on on the track. But then it's also something that's like, you know, if if they if it's like okay, there's a yellow flag on rhythm three, like and you're on the other side of the track and you're listening to all kinds of stuff going on, it'd just be I'm not I'm not sure how it would work, but I, I think it potentially yeah. could. Yeah, and, and do you think that it's something that so whenever you have these kinds of conversations, you've got basically two sides, right? You've got the people that go, fuck, it's just moto. Like, let's just do it how we've always done it. Like, let's not change the format. Let's not do this. Like, let's keep it how it is. And then there's the other side that, you know, they might want to borrow from other forms of racing and they might want to implement change and they might be kind of, they might seem like drastic changes at the time, but it's like, you know, kind of moving in a direction that a lot of other sports go. As a rider, like, do you think that you and most other riders would be open to things that would make it safer and more, um, I guess just more clear too, you know, like even, you know, getting penalties or can this guy race or even, you know, so like the, let's say you go to Atlanta too and you've got that crash and everyone's on the start line going like, what the fuck can he even race? And then you get race control come through and be like, Hey, this race control, uh, rule book says Cameron McAdoo is allowed to re-enter the race. Um, we'll be going to this and then the gate drops in fucking whatever, you know, it's just like, do you think riders would be open to like making these kinds of changes? Um, I think so personally as a rider, um, I, I believe in things evolving. Like, you know, I do understand some of the old school guys and being, you know, like the core aspect of our racing and stuff like that. But also to be a, a top level sport as we are, you have to evolve. I think you have to evolve with times. Our bikes have evolved. Like, I yeah. guarantee you that if you go look at the difference in, in the, you know, the 450 that or the 252 stroke that RC was winning on or McGrath, and you go look at, you know, one of our factory Cowies right now, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a big difference. We've evolved there's a lot. A lot. Going on, like, yeah. yeah, there's yeah. been a lot of evolution just since I turned pro, and I've only been, I'm like, I'm still early in my pro career. But, um, yeah, I think that I don't see any reason, you know, why not to evolve. I think even like little things like the metal starting gate. I, I like the metal starting gate. Um, I would I like it. I like watching the GPs with it and I think that it'd be cool to have it for outdoors. Then you've got, you know, the other side where they're like, Man, it's 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 pro motocross racing. It's you know, I mean, this is the grassroots. We start on dirt yeah. and I, I, I understand that too. So like, um, my personal opinion, I'm I'm not a type of person, I guess, who I have my one way of thinking, and like you can't, like I I can understand and I can kind of like I get where people are coming from in, in other aspects. Like I don't think that my way is the, or it's my way or the highway. Like I, I try to do my best not to be that way. So, um, but I definitely do think that I'm not against us doing new things, trying new things. You know, like they tried the Triple Crown format a couple of years ago. Um, I know. I think that no, it wasn't last year. Yeah, 2019 might have been the last yeah, year they did year Triple before, Crown. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, that was like uh, that was cool for the fans for sure. Um, as a writer, it was different for sure. I think probably more of the guys didn't like it than did. But like, if you think about it, they got to watch the best 20 guys on 250s and the best 20 guys on 450s go at it 
six times in one night and yeah. every time of those six times counted just as much like they went at it for six wins and they got to watch you know them start from scratch and battle it out that's pretty cool as a fan um you know i think that they decided maybe by safety and a few different things that they went back away from it but it was cool to see them trying some new stuff you know um so yeah i think that like i said i think they have hopefully they have the right people in in place and and uh to make those decisions and and like change yeah. with times hey, bring this up a little bit closer again um yep. yeah just bring it yeah um Good. the because i mean the cornerstone of formula one is rule change you know like that's how they keep it so that it's not the same people winning every time it's not the same for the fans it's new storylines to follow and i mean we can't go uh requesting changes to the bikes every year like oh well you've got to run a 230 this year instead of a 250 like you know i don't think we're that's the move but i think yeah in terms of formats and in terms of um you know like rider communication like i mean i i think that even just from a content perspective dude like every single weekend i'll listen to ricardo's in on board and i'll listen to verstappen's on board like it's fucking cool you can get this crazy insight into the sport um you know and then that creates more storylines for people to talk about and shows more of people's personalities so i really think that you know we probably shouldn't be so scared to change the rules and so scared to like keep it fresh and change and force riders to change like you guys are doing the same schedule the same motos the same everything and you know you see a dude like Dunge retire at 25 26 and Villapoto it's the same thing it's like you just you get in the grind and then you do it for 10 years and then you're done mm-hmm. yeah I uh it's funny in the probably the past three years I've become you know more of an F1 fan and the way I am, I'm kind of not into something, but then when I get into it, I dig deep into it and, and I get like super into it. And, um, I watch all the F1 all the time and, uh, it's, it's raw. Like it's pretty cool. And how, I mean, I don't like it's supercross isn't quite at the level F1 is that's F1's the highest level of any sort of motorsport in the world. So they, you know, they have the ability to that, but it's pretty, uh, like there's so many rules for so many things that like you know you'd never know and i think like the onboard stuff i i I listen to the stuff too you know and it's pretty cool to like hear the driver's reactions here you know um actually i got even more into it when they made that netflix series called drive to survive i'm sure you've watched it and yeah and like it goes to show you like even before you know i grew up as a family sport racing dirt bikes and it was fun for the family bought brand like bought my goggles went to the vendors at the races that type you know and you think of a factory team as like just these robots and how these things work and then you get to that level and it's just people and then yeah. as a supercross racer we look at f1 as like something that just like revolves and it just goes perfectly and then you watch that and it's like oh no it's just people still like we're just all people and they're just people trying to race to win and like it's pretty cool so like I'm, I'm a huge fan of f1 and and i think that um like they're the they're kind of the pinnacle of all motorsport for everyone to kind of shoot for to to take pages out of their book for sure 
Oh man, one hundred percent. And you know, like the the emotion that you know, like imagine having the audio, you know, between like you and your mechanic on the start line. Like if there was on board, you know, like if you had a mic on yours and these guys could like go to team radio and like man it just it makes the sport thick and i think that you know you watch like a a drive to survive series and you like you see the personalities and you see the guys with the helmets off like daniel blair man had one of the best points ever you know in this podcast he just said get the damn helmets off these guys like and, and his point of um not like you guys shouldn't be allowed to have your helmet on until there should be like a two minute warning and that's the only time you could put your helmet on and that might fuck with dudes you know there's probably guys that like they go through the tunnel with their helmet on because they want to get in that zone and and it's like that might add a whole new level to the sport of you know like really seeing like this guy's got a game face this guy's nervous and that you know you might want to push back from that against uh, as a racer because it might be outside of your comfort zone but it's like even just those small details dude is like a you know can really add so much depth and dynamic to this sport and it's like you know you had that big crash in atlanta and so like the supercross world was watching you and i mean that went as viral as a crash can go and it's like if you line back up and your helmet's not on and the world's getting to see the face that goes with that crash like that's super valuable to you as a racer yeah totally i i think that um actually i got a lot of messages about the broadcast how they there was a hot mic on accident i think um mm. with when it went on peacock if you watch it on peacock yeah and yeah I was they had that. a hot mic of me yeah me like explaining and, and like pleading my case and talking to the medics and stuff like yeah. that um and there was there was some backlash on it even too and i i was like that's pretty i thought it was pretty cool like it was just straight Same. up it was as transparent as it could be um i'm all about transparency especially with the fans uh, i try to be as transparent as i possibly can i thought that was cool that people got to like hear and see what was going on down there and you know i mean there's obviously some stuff that we do that we you know we keep close to ourselves because of um you know, trying to be better than your competition. And, you know, when I'm talking to my trainer, I don't want a hot mic, but, uh, yeah, like I think some of that stuff's cool. Like I even had, uh, when I hurt my knee in Paula, uh, I crashed right in front of the mechanics area. I had to get lifted over the fence and, um, I had an issue, a, a incident with a, with a camera and what happened before it was no one saw, but it was me. I'm sure you saw it like get out of here with the camera. And so many people were yeah. so bummed about it. And like, you know, they're like, Oh, you, you're scared of the camera. And I'm like, man, I'm so far from that. Like I'm all about transparency. You know, I was, I was trying to figure out what was going on with my knee and the dude was just a little bit too close and the medics couldn't even get to me before they even cut that part yeah. on, you know, they were stumbling over a camera guy and I'm like, dude, get out of here. Everyone get out of here. Other than the guys that need to help me get on the cart and get back. Like, I'm hurt, you know, like I knew I was hurt. I knew it yeah. wasn't just like a, a, a monkey bump and it was just so much going on at the moment. Like if I would have gone back, no, I don't do that. I don't wave the camera guy away. Like totally. I'm, I'm all for the fans seeing what's going on, understanding why, why camera Mac is out of the race and, you know, seeing that, that, you know, 
how what we're dealing with the pain and, and how it feels but and I also don't I also want a kid with his mom and dad who's six years old watching for the mom and dad to be like I want my kid to race dirt bikes I don't want them to be yeah. like you know ooh, this stuff looks I think that we've kind of some of us get so jaded to be like we're so gnarly we crash really hard and we keep going and we do this and that but like that can kind of alter people away you know when when i when i meet someone mm. and they ask me what i do oh, i ride dirt bikes the first thing that's so dangerous and i i try to be like you know no not so much i do my best to to um you know avoid any injury and so on and so forth like life's dangerous but i don't want you yes. know the the basic person who's like maybe thinking about buying their kid a dirt bike to be like i'm out this is not good like you know yeah. our sport is not quite as dangerous maybe as as it can be made up to be like there's a lot of things that can keep us safe at the, like nowadays too with how far along we've come so i think yeah, there's well, like man, there's like, kind of a, a happy medium oh definitely and i think that that's one of the cool things about this sport um is the investment that companies will make into rider safety like when you crashed at atlanta I mean, I said on, on our Supercross Companion, I was like, well, there's the best ad in the world for the new Belmodo 10. I was like, that should not happen. You should not be able to crash like that and your brain still be okay. So the investment that these companies are making into safety is insane. Oh, absolutely. That's like, I got a hold of, you know, my couple contacts at Bell right away and I was like, thank you guys. <laughs> like... It was my helmet really did its job. Like, I mean, obviously, you know how a helmet works. They have the the different foams that are supposed meant to crush in it. And I crushed it like um, that was another topic. You know, why did they not have a helmet? Like a lot of people were like, why did they not have another helmet for him um, to race in a new helmet? And they would have if that, that's just something that has never happened. Right. Like when are, yeah. when are you going to have a rider crash so hard that they damage the helmet to where the helmet's not safe to wear or potentially not safe to wear. And then they're going to go and race again. Like it doesn't again. really make yeah. sense. That doesn't make sense. So, um, I guess that just is a, a good example of how good the helmets really are and how good our equipment really is. Um, so yeah, like I, that's another thing I just, I, I want to show the people who are maybe thinking about, you know, getting into our sport and coming in that, um, there's a lot of good, like it's not, you know, we're not always banged up and, um, we do go through a lot, especially as a professional racer, like not everyone that's going to go buy a dirt bike and, and ride it and, you know, is going to become a professional racer and that's fine. Like that's dirt bikes are for fun. Like that's why I still race too. Like, so, um, yeah, like I, I, I try to do the best at setting, uh, the, is how real it can, how real it is. You know, I try to be as transparent with what I deal with and like going back to talking about you know being like the fans and seeing the riders and stuff and and like we're just people like we all are you know so like when you can look a fan in the eyes and talk to them and they just realize man like this guy I try to put myself like we're all on the same level you know but I just race dirt bikes for a living and you know so like that's um, I think when a fan can connect with the racers like that, it brings them closer to our sport. Oh, definitely. And I, and I think too, man, like 
I was. Uh, it's funny. So I've I've had a bit of a roller coaster with the sport in that sense. Like uh, I've spoken about it before, but watching Andrew McFarlane pass away is like a really good friend of mine, and I saw a bunch of guys get hurt at one time, and like it just it, honestly it made me surf and play golf. So I spent the whole time I lived in America, I rode a dirt bike like three times. So the 12-year-old in me completely hates my guts now because I never rode any of the sick tracks that I spent my whole life frothing over. But I, it, like, fucked with my head, you know? I was like, this shit's just not worth it. And then, you know, and then I would tell people, like, I'd never let my kid race, I'd never get my kid into dirt bikes. And I've just had the biggest shift from it because on so many levels, it's like, you know, I went and raced Manjimup. We drove five days... Uh, like four days there and four days back to go and do this race that was super gnarly i trained for it i was eating good i was with my best friend to do it like we made the you know it was like a sick work trip and then all the other stuff that we do like my dad preps my bikes for racing i'm 30 years old 33 years old and i'm still best friends with my dad because of dirt bikes do i have other shit to talk to my dad about not really so it's like there's so many elements that moto is kind of like worth that i'll i will break a hip every now and again to to have that connection with my dad and to have something that gets me out of bed every day to like try and you know keep my fitness good it has, there's something there that makes me not want to go and party and be a dickhead on the weekends and then you know to the point of i've been out of operate motor vehicles my entire life i've been able to drive a car since i was a kid i've never been in a car accident again touch wood but it's like these are all skills that are developed by me being a dirt bike kid and understanding motors and understanding understanding like i mean dude have you ever been in a car with a chick driving and you're just like man you've never crashed anything before because you do not understand how fucking bad it hurts and how much it sucks (laughs) to be in the hospital and it's like we have this like level of respect because of moto yeah totally um like i think that that's kind of why like where i try and share my end of my story because um growing up like I wasn't a top amateur as or uh, prospect I wasn't you know I I would we would do everything we could to make it to Loretta's but all my memories as a kid are with my family going to the local races going to a qualifier if we were able to qualify for Loretta's like that was my dad's week vacation like we would go to Loretta's and like all of the some of my best childhood memories are at the track with my family like and up until I was six, 17 years old, um, racing professional motocross for a career wasn't even really a thing. Um, you know, I always dreamed of it as a kid, like when you race dirt bikes and that's what you love to do, you dream to be the best at it. And, you know, but like it just wasn't even really in the cards. It wasn't something that was even seemed to be achievable. Like we didn't, I guess it wasn't even thought about because I lived in Iowa um, and if you're familiar with the States in Iowa, it snows six months a year. So I went to public school, lived in Iowa and just, we had dirt bikes for fun. That's the only reason. And my dad, my mom, my dad, everyone, they were fully into it. You know, like we had everything they could do for us and they loved it. We loved it. My sister, she raced growing up and, um, like it, it was so just for the love of it. And it you know I it turned into being able to be a career for me but um 
yeah, like it's just, I would, when I have kids, I'll for sure let them have the opportunity to race a dirt bike. I'm not going to push it on them. I'm not going to say you're going to become a professional racer because of I was a racer and I did X, Y, and Z in my career. That has nothing to do with my kids, right? But for sure, I'll, you know, I would always recommend anyone if they have the opportunity to do it. Yeah, man. No, I, I completely agree. And like, man, me and my brother, my brother texted me at 6 a.m. this morning. Hey, man, where are we riding this weekend? And it's just, you know, like Ronan here, he's the producer in Australia. Him and his brother's the same. We're going racing next weekend. His dad's going to drive the caravan there. Like, you know, and Loretta's is such a cool example of that. I mean, I'm sure there's a big percentage of dickhead parents at Loretta's that are like pushing their kids way too hard and it's like a probably point of diminishing returns but i mean i bet there's some amazing memories that go down at at loretta's for the you know like the kid that's going to get 39th place in the c class and is just like so happy to be there and to be able to like have an outlet to cultivate those kind of memories with your kid and and it's just it's been like one of the the guiding things through my entire life yeah i absolutely and and like i was that kid that you know was 20 something that loretta's in and it was just so cool like all the people locally thought it was so awesome that i qualified for loretta's you know and so like even that's how i i kind of try and share that part of my story too because even if you are 14 and you are that 25th place kid at loretta's like if you want to make it happen go make it happen if you have the support behind you like you can it's not not possible um it's not easy and even if you're you know adam cincerello on a super mini winning everything by 20 seconds it wasn't easy for him either like there's there's multiple ways to go through it but um just seeing the families and stuff even now i just went to loretta's this past week the first time since i've turned pro um and i was hanging out a lot with my with nick and his kids and his wife nicole and and I mean, Vincent, Nick's kid is at the top level. You know, he, he won a championship on the 65. He's young on the 85. He's a, you know, top five, top 10 kid on the 85 and can potentially win. So like they're at the very high level, you know, he's got all kinds of support, but also like, it was so cool just to see, you know, the commitment from Nick, Nicole, his wife, um, grandpa and grandma were there it was a huge family thing donovan you know nick's the youngest boy he was there running around in the creek collecting free stickers and cruising around on golf carts and doing things you know ava their daughter who's like super top level gymnastics um like a gymnast she's 13 or 14 but she's like super high level gymnast and she was there you know um it was just cool to see like it was really a family you know they were just making family memories together and like I aspire to try and be like that as I grow older too because like Nick's a such a cool example for me because his kid is is at the top level like there is pressure for Vincent um you know and Nick does so well at you know even if Vincent doesn't do maybe the best or whatever in a moto like it's cool to see them interact and and, you know them talk about it and not be a freak out thing you know it, it's cool like even for the kids at the top that are the best kids in the world racing loretta's they're most of them are in a camper their family's there it's it's such a family thing that um yeah it's, it's just awesome 
Man, isn't it cool the to speak on Nick and Vincent? Like Vincent's such a dope little dude. Like just from me following him on Instagram and shit. And man, Nick was one of the guys. I actually would love to have him on this podcast. He's such a cool guy. I used to love oh, yeah. seeing him in airports coming back from Supercrosses and Nationals. Like he has just got the most weird sense of humor. He's the nicest dude. Uh, but to see this new generation of you got like danger boy you've got evan ferry you've got vincent way uh i mean i'm probably missing a bunch of kids that uh you know coming from these like famous you know successful x races and i mean you see a guy like nick dude he's coaching you he's training ac and then to apply that knowledge to his kid but also to have the knowledge of because i think of um I mean, there's a there's a ton of examples. Obviously, won't name names, but you you hear guys now like even top dudes, like top 450 guys, where just like you just hear constantly, his dad's just a fucking idiot, and he's just like ruins the guy's program. Like it could be so good if his dad wasn't such a dickhead, but it's like his dad never went through what a pro rider went through, and then there's probably a part of the ego there where his dad feels like he made it on a factory team, even though he's not riding the bike, and to have a guy like to be Vincent or to be Evan Ferry or to be Danger Boy and to have a dad that's got the perspective of the good, bad and the ugly and to know exactly how it feels and like even, you know, Will Hahn yesterday working with, uh, he's working with Barsha, he's like, if he says he's too tired on Monday, like, I get it. I know what too tired on a Monday feels like after a 450 national. So that new generation of kids like, of Vincent and Danger Boy and Evan Ferry, I mean, man, we're we're in for a bit of a treat, I think. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the amount of knowledge that Vincent has access to at his age right now is there's no way you can understand it probably if if it's your dad because like you know how it is when you're 11 years old. Like, what can my dad tell me? But like, it's crazy. And like the way the way Nick is as a person is like something to look up to you know he like i've never seen him treat anyone differently based on their who they are what they are Mm. what they do like he is so genuinely a good dude to everyone and it's also cool to see you know vincent has his own personality like nick has a personality and vincent has his own personality and nick lets him have that personality and you know like for instance, I'm sure you saw the video of Vincent doing the number one down the start straight at Loretta's yeah, when he pulled the whole yeah, shot this yeah. year. And like yeah, I was like, that was stuff. sweet, dude, right? Yeah. And like and then Nick was like, Oh man, like if you're gonna do that, you gotta back it up, dude. Like, you know, cause he sent it, he had a little crash, you know, and like he Nick that's not Nick's, you know, that's not Nick's style, but like it is Vince. Like Vince was like I had to throw it up. Like I was two bike lengths ahead. It was sweet. Right. So like, it's cool (laughs) to see their kid, like, you know, the kids have a different personality and, you know, and vent or like Nick, just the way they kind of navigate through it. It's, it's really cool. Like it's impressive. So, uh, I want to get into, uh, Nick and AC in a bit, but sticking with the Loretta's thing, I mean, what was the vibe like at Loretta's and what, what's it like going back after, you know, like you're a successful, you're one of the top dudes in the lights class now. What was it like going back there uh, and seeing, you know, Loretta's 2021 as opposed to your last, was it 16 was your last year? 
Yeah, 16 was my last year. Um, it was cool. Like, I went back there last year, obviously for the Pro National, but it wasn't Loretta's. It was the Pro National. But um, it's it's fun to kind of go back and you kind of get off the exit there and you get those same feelings. And I, even as a kid who I wasn't going there as like, I'm sure, you know, these top kids, they get there and they're like, I have to win. You know, that's the only thing. I even got those nervous feelings and of pressure of it being Loretta's and all that. And I was a 25th place guy, you know, when I was on 85. So like, and then there was also those feelings towards the ends of my racing Loretta's where I was like on the edge of going pro and hoping to make it and hoping to open some eyes. Like you feel like every moto is, that's it. Like that's that your career is based off that moto. And you do that for six times that week and then the week's over and then it's done. And then like looking back on it now, you realize, you know, like, holy crap, like it, it's a huge stepping stone for your career for sure. Like, you know, if you go win everything at Loretta's, like you're putting yourself in a really good position, but it's, um, fun to see it from a different perspective. And it's, and it's cool to see where amateur motocross is right now. Like, um, we have some good stuff like <laughs> amateur racing is doing good right now. There was like, it was the most people I've ever seen there. Um, and there are so many good kids. Like I was watching the super mini class and I was just, I was blown away at what those kids are doing at, you know, 13, 14, 15 on super minis. Um, like it's, it's come a long way even, you know, since I was on a super mini and, um, you know, like when I was younger, when I was on 85s, Adam was on a super mini and I remember going to Loretta's and I remember going, like, looking over at Team Green being like, oh, that's Adam's bike, you know. And you would see Adam and be like, oh, that's Adam Cincerillo. Like, he was. And then now it's probably, you know, I would imagine Danger Boy or, um, you know, some of the star guys. Like, who, whatever kid's winning in the A class. I think it was the Levi Kitchen or the Team Green kids. Levi Kitchen. You know, I yeah, always. Yeah. yeah, he won all the, a, the most of the A stuff. But, like. I remember, you know, walking up the vendor row and seeing the whole Team Green set up and the Kawasaki set up and it being, like, just so sweet. And it's cool to, you know, go there and be part of that and then and see the kids, you know, still dreaming of that and and uh, just, like, how far our sport is. Like, I think that there's a lot of really good talent that might not even be seen quite yet. And it's, uh, yeah, it's going to be good. Well, it's one of the cool things, man. Like, I literally had Cody Shock on uh, last week. And, I mean, you posted your Loretta's pick of, like, your overall results. And it's, like, the last two is, like, a three and a four. And then everything else is 20 or worse. And then Cody was <laughs> the same. Like, he was not a good Am Loretta's kid. And, you know, it's actually really cool to, to talk to a couple guys around even the time of Loretta's where that buzz is so real in the industry right now to have two dudes like you like yourself and like Cody who's top 10 in the 450 class on a privateer bike and it's like okay kids don't give up on your dream at 14 because you can still make it yeah totally I mean there's a lot of guys who are top kids at 14 who don't make it and there's a lot of guys who do, you know, like there's a lot of guys who, you know, had all that support was that guy and they go on to do crazy great things. Like most of the top guys in our sport, like, you know, 80, 90% of the guys that make it all the way to the, you know, 
whatever your main goals are, were probably top level guys at Loretta's and growing up. Like that's, it's for sure a huge springboard. That's, that's, you know, you can't discount that, but also, um, it's possible. Like it's definitely possible without being, being that guy for sure. So what did it look like then for you to like, how did you go from being a 20th place dude to third in pro sport and then making a pro career? I mean, you've had a pretty kind of gnarly career in the sense of, yeah, not a good amateur kid, did good at the last Loretta's and then your route to, you know, professional racing until you, you know, obviously like I feel like Troy Lee uh, being on that team and then to go to PC, that's when you really like found your groove and kind of establish yourself in the lights class. But what did that amateur career look like and what were you doing that I guess let you go from not being in the top, you know, 20 to then being on a podium and then making a career out of it? Yeah. Um, so like I, like I said, like I grew up all my life in Iowa, went to public school, um, would always beg my parents to be homeschooled and go to a training facility and you know so on and so forth and it was just like not happening and then um my junior year of high school it was in the winter time um and I got a road bike and decided I was gonna start training for I don't even know what just because I was gonna and then my mom uh came sat down with me and said that that uh she and my dad agreed to let me get homeschooled my last year of high school and go to a training facility for one year and uh so we looked around and this was 2000 middle of 2014 so we looked around at all the you know options and we decided to go to club mx so loaded up in an rv went down there with the bikes that i had um had no clue <laughs> what it was going to take for to keep bikes going for uh riding every single day but yeah anyway like we went through that and then 2015 i got hurt right before loretta's um, so I didn't really race. Like I tried one moto, but I had a broken ankle or something like that. My lower leg. And then, um, just kind of like, I just kept grinding. Like uh, that's all I really did was just would grind, grind, grind the whole time. Had some decent results at, you know, Minios in 2015, I think. And then, um, spring, spring nationals, like the Freestone and Daytona of 2016. Um, I got hooked up with Moto Concepts, uh, Tony Alessi, Mike Genova, uh, and they helped me there. And then, you know, um, Genova was like, I like this kid. And so decided to, to give me some support through Monster Cup 2016. And I went to Loretta's and, right. and had a pretty good, yeah, yeah. So I went to Loretta's, had a pretty good showing. I think I was like, at I, that one. Okay. Was the one with the big start down the, down the, yeah, uh, yeah, stadium. yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, I fucking remember watching you. All right, yep. So, yeah, I I actually got hurt. I fractured my shoulder, like, right where your uh, humerus goes into your shoulder. I fractured that and broke two ribs the week before the Reds that year. Um, got a third and a fourth overall. And then I went and won Monster Cup, and I still didn't have any offers. I didn't have any, nothing from any factory teams. And then uh, Genova, the owner of Moto Concepts, uh, he decided to make a lights spot for me. So he, they essentially created, you know, a lights team for me to race East coast supercross. And then, uh, so that was September before monster cup was the first time I'd ever rode a supercross track ever. And 
So I did Monster Cup, and then I just trained the offseason on Supercross. And then uh, three three rounds into Supercross, um, a few of the Geico guys got hurt, and they reached out and wanted me to fill in. And then, you know, actually Genova kind of helped me with my deal through Geico about uh, he was basically like the only way I'll let him go for the rest of the Supercross is if you guys make it worth it for him and give him an, an opportunity. So mm. we worked some stuff out, made that happen, and I had the rest of Supercross 2017 and then outdoors of 2017 and then a full year of 18 with Geico. Yeah. So I raced a couple races on Supercross for them. And then I got hurt after the second round of outdoors and didn't race any of the 2017 outdoors. And then um, going into 2018, I just had my normal off season, you know. Um, and then I had, uh, I got collected with another rider in the first round of Supercross 2018 and broke my hand. Uh, raced a couple with that and then it broke worse. And then I basically had to sit out the rest of Supercross. And then came back in beginning of outdoors or mid outdoors and, you know, struggled, just didn't just straight up, didn't put the results down that I needed to continue with my ride. So, um, I got let go at the end of 2018 from them and I didn't really have any idea what I was going to do, where I was going to go. I bought a 450 from Geico and kept training on Supercross, And then, um, throughout all this time, since I moved to club, I, I became really close friends with Justin Brayton. And, uh, he reached out and said that, uh, the, the, uh, the Honda team in Australia had a kid get hurt and they needed someone to race Ozex open. And I was like, I'm down, like I'll fly tomorrow. So I flew to Australia, raced Ozex open. I won that. And then, um, I came back and then I was, I was, uh, kind of working on a deal to possibly ride for the club MX traders team for 2019. Yeah. And then I, I went and uh, I raced Bercy Supercross in Geneva, got hooked up with Eric Bernard, and he's such a cool dude. Like, he <laughs> gave me the, the opportunity to come race that. Oh, yeah, he's awesome. Like, and that was through Brayton, too. Like, he's got a really good relationship with him. So, I just, that whole offseason, yeah. I was like, man, I just got to I gotta keep racing and, and just get my name out there. I even, I raced straight rhythm for Mathis um, that year. I got a call and was like, hey, do you want to ride a two-stroke at straight rhythm? And I was like, sure. Like, I'll do whatever I'll fly to California and just get out there and just keep racing and just try and better myself. Like I went, you know, to the, I was like being on Geico and being on a factory team was like my dream. And then I got it and then I lost it. And at first it was kind of tough to accept the fact that, Hey, you lost it. Like you're no longer a factory rider. And what are you going to get do to get back to your, to your goal? And so I knew I just had to grind. And so then actually, um, Right around Christmas time, 2018. So going into 2019, I got a call from my shack, the owner of uh, Honda or not Honda of Geico, and he said that uh, they needed a fill-in guy for the West Coast Supercross. And um, I was like, I was actually flying back to Iowa for Christmas vacation, and I didn't have anything completely done for 2019. So I took the deal, flew straight from there with a bag worth of a week's or a week's worth of clothes for, you know, Christmas vacation and, and had the 2019 West coast season. So I stayed at Carson Mumford's place, um, raced that whole deal. I podium Vegas that year. That was kind of like, that was where I started finding my feet. I was like, it seemed like I got six every weekend, but I was right in there, you know, and then I podiumed in Vegas and I didn't have anything for outdoors. So 
Um, I kept riding one of their 450s that they helped me with. And then after the third round of outdoors, um, TK called me from Troy Lee and was like, you know, how to fill in spot. And I filled in for those guys the rest of the summer. And then uh, I got an offer from Mitch towards the mid to end of that summer to ride for the 2020 season. So that was kind of, that's from, you know, when I started to train to maybe make it happen to, you know, kind of my beginning at pro circuit. Man, there's a, there's a lot to go through there. It's such a, it's such a crazy career. I mean, probably the gnarliest part would be, uh, the fact that you kind of got this ride and then you just lost it through just purely results. And I mean, it, there's been a lot of crashes. So when you look Mm -hmm. back at, you know, some of the injuries and the crashes, like why were you crashing so much? Um, I think there's a whole list of things. I think, uh, I, I don't even know how to word it properly. Panic in a sense, you know, um, like I kind of got so, I was always so worried about what the future might hold for me and was like, I just wanted to do whatever I could to set myself up to be better, you know, for the next ride or for the next, you know, and I, I was always in a position where I was right on the edge of maybe getting a deal, but like. I was kind of always in that spot where I was in that there was six guys to choose from to be that last spot. Mm. And, um, you know, like I was just, I would fight so hard for it. And, uh, you know, I think a couple of my injuries just came from maybe some overtraining in the past. Um, there's, I mean, there's a list of things that it could be, but, uh, like, like you were saying when I lost my ride, like that was, I mean, that was a big, uh, thing where you know I think a lot of it's hard to take responsibility for everything that's happened but you have to like you know this crash wasn't my fault because of this but like if you got taken out the reason you got taken out was because you put yourself in the position to be there in the pack to be around another rider to get taken out so like that's kind of the way I try to approach everything is take full responsibility for whatever happens to me because as a racer you have to and uh that was like a big thing when I lost, lost my ride, just I straight up did like in 2018, I was like, man, like I didn't do good enough. And you know, I I don't have a ride. So that was, um, something that, you know, it's a tough pill to swallow, but I just was like, I did what I always have known to do. And that was just do everything that could work. And so like, I think I, I still try and do my best to live by that. Like, I mean, you know, now I, my first year with pro circuit was, you know, I had some, it was a little bit rocky. I got hurt right at the beginning of Supercross, um, class my lung. And then, you know, at, towards the end in Salt Lake and stuff last year, I was, I did pretty good. And then I raced the outdoor season and felt that I was, you know, a little bit mediocre last outdoor, last year outdoors. Um, there was just a few things that I didn't quite put together, but then this past year, the off season, um, I was just over a year in with working with Nick, with working with my team, you know, all the people around me. And, and, uh, it, I finally put, was putting everything together to become, you know, I, I mean, I was a race winner this year. I, you know, fought for a title. Like it was a big year for me. Um, a lot of change and there was a lot of like circumstances and stuff that I was put in that I've never been in. And it was, um, good to experience it for sure. I mean, 
obviously I wish I would have won the Supercross title this year. Like that was the goal. But um, since I fell short, like I still think about stuff now after I got hurt in outdoors and, and what I can do to potentially make my goal happen next year. Yeah. Now it's really cool, man. Like you, you can see the progression that you've made, like even in maturity. And I think even the fact that um, you're around Nick and, and Adam, like, Adam is one of the smartest people I know, not even smartest racers I know. Like I've had some conversations with that dude that are my favorite conversations in like I've ever had. And I think the the cosine of being around Adam and Nick, and Nick's another dude that's like super intelligent. Um so I mm-hmm. think the fact that you've got these two guys that are super smart dudes within the sport and so established that have kind of like almost taken you on and co-sign you i think speaks volumes to your personality like they obviously like see something in you uh and you know that there's obviously just like we need to clean up these you know these little issues that that he's having but there's such a good foundation there you know yeah for sure and like that was um when i first reached out to nick i wasn't sure you know what his situation was with Adam or if it was even a possibility but I just had felt like you know I needed help somewhere and then when we first started talking after the first couple of conversations that we had like I was like that's my guy like he he understands what I need help with and and I I know what I need help with but I don't I don't I need someone to help me with it you know and uh yeah like and he um he's done it like he's he's a grinder too he's like me he's like in his career there's so many things that yeah yeah I think that I think Nick looks back on his career and was like if I'd have changed x y and z I'd have been a multi-time champion you know or so on and so forth like so I think that's what he uses is his experience to you know help us through those things and I mean I think that you know he's helped Adam a lot too and and it's it's cool to be able to be training partners with Adam he's I mean, he's fought for championships, you know, been down to the last five minutes of winning a championship in Supercross, won tons of races and won an outdoor title on 250, you know, podium guy on a 450 now. Like, he's he's a, one of the top-level guys in our sport, and um, his experience and his knowledge is also nice to, to kind of, you know, take off of. Yeah. How long did it take you to get over being dumped? from that Geico ride like that process of acceptance like the way you got to with that is the move like you got to the right place but how long did it take you to get there um well honestly like so I was told um mid supercross season that I wasn't going to have a ride for the following year um so it was you know there was just it was such a deep pipeline um they had hired the Lawrence brothers there was so many guys coming up there was just no room and um I you know the team manager sat me down and and I appreciated it actually because he didn't they didn't uh wait to tell me and they didn't string me along and be like eh we'll see you know until there was nothing it was early on and they were like hey here's the deal like we don't have a spot for you next year we just don't and I you know I asked them like what what can I do to you know maybe work something out and basically it was win everything (laughs) so I knew for you know the whole season and um but I mean it was 
a little bit of frustration at first and with myself and with the whole situation. And, and like I said, I was, I'm really close with Brayton and, and it was, you know, I talked to him a few times and it was basically just like, it's sink or swim. And that's kind of the way our sport is. Like I, I straight up bought a, the 450 that I had in, in South Carolina that with a team bike, um, it was just a stock 450. And I told them, I was like, Hey, like at the end of outdoors, can I just buy this bike from you guys? They, you know, they sent some crates and they shipped all my stuff back, took it all back. Um, sent one of the riders dads up from Florida actually to pick the rest of my stuff up to take. And I bought a 450 from them. And I was like, it's really like, you can't feel bad for yourself. That's, you can't do that in with any aspect of our sport. And, um, like, I think that that's something that I've always tried to do my best not to do. So, um, it was pretty early on. Like I, I knew that I knew early enough that I wasn't going to have a job there. Um, I did everything I could to, to be my best that season to, you know, get a job the following year. And, and I didn't like, I just didn't perform at my best, I guess. So, um, yeah, I just had to take responsibility of it and, and not feel bad for myself. That was the biggest thing. Like just accept it and be like, Hey, you're, you're not a factory rider anymore with a salary. And you know, what are we going to do to get back to that point? So that was kind of the process of it. Man, it is cool. Like that, that actually does say a lot about those boys. The fact that they did sit you down and have that conversation. I mean, that's not a conversation. I'm sure any team owner and team manager ever wants to have you know you've got such a young kid that's like sitting in front of you and i mean i'm sure you were fucking scared and nervous and like you know sweating and you really tripping out like almost thinking you'd kind of thrown your life away like to sit in that office and hear those words dude <laughs> pretty heavy yeah i mean it it was i was pretty young at the time and um you know since i've turned pro i've pretty much taking care of all my stuff with you know deals and it's um my parents they're still fully in you know with my racing and, and like super involved with me as a person but they kind of let me take take over um so my my parents it's not like I had parents sitting in this conversation and my parents negotiating deals for me it was me I was just I was a 19 year old kid and I was like but I'm also I like people being straightforward I'm not um you know, like I have pretty thick skin, like I can deal with that stuff. I can, you know, I, I straight up sat it at a desk and he was like, yeah, man, we just, we're not going to have anything for you next year. But I still had to race the whole Supercross season and outdoor season knowing that. So like, I was just like, well, we're going to make, make the best of it. You know, I have a job to do still. I'm, I'm hired by them to do a job and I was going to do my very best. Like that's kind of something I just live by is wake up every morning and put your best foot forward and, and like life will, you can make life what you're going to make it. And, and that's kind of all it is. So that was, uh, it was tough for sure. Like I can't, I can't say that I wasn't like, holy crap, what am I going to do? Like, you know, I obviously had those thoughts and those feelings, but learning from it now, like, you know, that each thing that happens, like it's going to come back around. And, and as long as you don't dwell on it and you make a lesson out of it, I think that's like probably one of the biggest things. Yeah, man. Nah, dude, honestly, kudos to you, eh? Like, so many people would not be able to deal with that at 19 and then, you know, not just turn to 
like I guess taking your frustration out or like holding bitterness. I mean, I dude, I've no, I fucking won't name names, but I know situations that like a guy got fucking you know dropped by a team or whatever and sent bikes back all fucked up and trash. And I was just like, oh dude, it ain't the move. Like it's just not, like that's just not good human shit. Like you know you've had, you've had this situation happen, but it's like you still got to just be a good human about stuff yeah totally i mean i i sent my bikes back to them in in september and i was racing from january 5th the next year you know so like Mm -hmm. i think that says a lot about how it worked like i think that you know i was as professional as i could be about it and like i i still did my very best every time and you know like i i appreciated what they did for me and and I get it. Like it's, it's a business. They're running a business. I'm running a business. I have a brand and, um, yeah. they had to do what was best for theirs. And they felt like, you know, what we had wasn't the best. So, you know, we, we ended up right. I ended up doing a full season with them again of Supercross. So, um, yeah, like I had a good relationship with all those guys and I still do. So I think that's, that's another thing that's like huge. Our, our industry is so small. Um, I've already realized it, that everything comes back around. Like I've had even down to like my boot guy at Geico when I was, you know, wear these kind of boots, all of a sudden he worked for this company and I'm working with him again. Like it just all comes around in circle. Like you just, if you, you gotta be for sure a good person, like never burn bridges. Um, that's huge. Like, cause you know, as much as frustration can be at times, but yeah, it's, we're a small industry and like we have to work together. Oh, dude, 100%. So then let's fast forward to getting the call to ride for Pro Circuit. I mean, what's that? What's the, you know, you've got the emotion that we just spoke about of, you know, getting fired. What's the emotion that you then feel um, to get hired by a dude like Mitch Payton? Like, how does that phone call go down? And then, you know, how do you feel when you hang up that phone? Yeah, uh, actually looking back, the whole... Um, the whole Supercross season when I was riding for Geico, I knew I didn't have anything for outdoors. The Geico shop was just down the street from Pro Circuit, and I would leave the Geico shop and I'd drive down to Pro Circuit. And like, I'm sure pe- people hear the stories of like going in and waiting, talk to Mitch and stuff like that. And it's real. That's that's what I did. I'd walk into the front thing, and and the the girl that works at the front that you know, in the front little office, I'd say, Hey, can I talk to Mitch? And she'd walk back and he'd be busy, you know, he'd be in a meeting or whatever. Basically he was like, he knew that I was there and he didn't, you know, and I I walked into there multiple times a week and and never spoke to him. Um, one time I walked in and he was like, yeah, come back. And I went back there and I just, you know, told him, I was like, Hey, what do you, you know, what can I do to ride for you this outdoor season? You know, I don't have a job and you know, I know that you might have a couple guys out so on and so forth. And he was like, yeah, we'll see. I don't have anything for you right now. And, and like, but I would, I would go in there and bang his door down like all the time. And, uh, it was cool. Cause like I, I, uh, first time I talked to Mitch, I was like, if you've seen him in the pits, obviously like he's, you're like, oh crap, it's Mitch Payton, you know? And, uh, he was at his porting bench and he just looked up at me and he was like, what's up? And <laughs> I was just like, yeah. So like, you know, I want to see what you've got. What's, you know, what's the potential of us working together. And, and, uh, like, I think he, he kind of poker faces it a little bit and he just was like, went back to doing what he was doing. And I was just standing there like, uh, what do I do? You know? 
but it was it was cool <laughs> like then later on he called me you know and and was like hey you know what do you got going on for next year and we had some negotiations and and uh it was it was really straight up straightforward um everything with the guys at cowie i went down had a meeting they had me an offer we came to an agreement and it was just here's the deal like it was you know they're they're straight up people and and uh the biggest thing with mitch is he's he's a straight shooter like he he says how it is if you know if you were to make a handshake deal with him he's he's a he's real you know like that's he'll go through with it and um not saying that that's how my deal went but um yeah he's now that I've got to know him, like he's a, he's a cool guy. He's an interesting guy, and and he's really fun to work with. Man, that that personality, like that staunch guy, um, that you know can sit at a porting bench and stare at you and just say like, "Yeah, what's up?" and then you you know can leave you feeling like so awkward and so exposed. Like mm-hmm. that is a real test of character, you know. Like to to have a guy put you through that and for you to go back there multiple times and you know to to stay with it like how many guys have gone into that office once and never had the balls to go back there probably every every guy that uh i'm sure there was you know when one guy gets hurt maybe on the team i'm sure it's happened just recently you know um everyone that feels like they're on the edge of that ride they've probably gone down there um but like basically my approach was like I knew that I was like pro circuit is where I want to be like that's I want to race for that team um you know I looked at it I looked up to it a lot still do and uh I was like what's the worst case what are they going to do like run me off like put a sign out front that says I can't come in that's fine you know but like I was gonna give it everything I had because like I, I felt like it was a good spot for me and uh yeah I was I'm, I'm glad that I did because it worked out and, and I'm really enjoying working with him. Did you have, like, was there any party that just did not want to go back there again after you got rejected that first time? Um, sort of, but I, I kind of knew the answer that he had. Like I knew that if, you know, he had something for me, I would have already known and so on. But I just wanted to show them that like, you know, what can I do? Like I, I, I just, I, I want to race my dirt bike this summer or race a dirt bike this summer and uh like i think that i just wanted to like really make my presence be known like the squeaky wheel gets the grease and uh you know i i had a couple guys that you know work with mitch through you know team sponsors and stuff that i would talk to and be like hey what's the deal like what's going on over pro circuit like are they going to have a have another rider this outdoor season and and um there was a few times where like towards the end before i started riding for tld that summer um i was a little was close to possibly riding for pro circuit that summer um but they just ended up not taking a filling guy but yeah like i said like you can't really i mean in any negotiation i feel like it's kind of uh if 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 you want something you gotta you gotta go after it for sure oh definitely dude so is pro circuit still the best lights team i think so I think so. Um, the it's I haven't rode for all lights teams, you know, but like it's it's the best spot for me right now for sure. Um, the the core group of people that like we have that I work with are they're pretty like they're just all so um, they're so driven and and I think that 
you know, we've all got the same goal, which that goes with every race team. But um, the one thing I do respect big time is that, you know, Mitch has his guys and, and he takes care of them like the same guys for a lot of years. And, and uh, like, you know, there's everything goes in waves and, you know, we haven't won a championship for a little while. And, and uh, I think it's coming back around though. Like, I, and I want to be the guy to, to bring it back to that level and, and to win a championship for the team, you know, after all of Mitch's success that he has had with the team in Kawasaki, that um, it'd be a huge honor, especially after a couple of rough years for us to to be the guy to, to make it happen again. Yeah, man, because, you know, my, my age growing up, like uh, for, you know, the era that I'm in, Pro Circuit was the only place that you could be as a guy coming out of amateurs like if you had that pc deal you were almost guaranteed to win a championship and you know from that from the outside perspective of just like a fan you see a couple years go by without a championship and then you're sitting here thinking like oh what's changed is like the team not as good anymore or kawasaki's not as good anymore and and you can make that uh, you can make that case in your mind um, purely based off results. But like you said, I mean, this sport comes in waves, you know, and you've got like the Star Yamaha guys that are throwing down big money to get these amateur kids. And it's kind of a stance that Mitch has taken against spending that kind of cash uh, on amateur kids. But it's like, you're right. The team's still the same team. It's the same group of guys. Yeah, for sure. And like I said, like now there's obviously a lot more competitiveness. I think, you know, it's not that pro circuit just going to dominate everything like in the past. Like even me growing up, you know, there was, I remember watching a Vegas Supercross and it was, I think one through five in the lights class at the finale was pro circuit bikes. You know, now there's, I mean, every team is so competitive and there's, uh, you know, the, they're all there's so many brands at such a high level that um it's good it's good for our sport like i think that you know and and mitch and the team and kawasaki they're they're working to evolve like everyone is and you know i think it's just um you know one thing after another needs to add up to win a to win a title still like and and now especially like there's it's a lot of a lot of moving parts and and uh that's why like i feel like I feel honored to be, you know, one of those guys that they decided that they feel like can win a title and have hired me to do that. So that's, um, it's exciting for sure. Like I want to, I want to do it. So is that, um, is that kind of the difference do you think between like, you kind of know at Geico or, um, star that there's like tiers of riders, but I feel like when you go to, like pro circuit it's like you're only getting hired to ride a pro circuit to win the championship and it's like every right there's no development kind of roles at pc it's like i mean you could maybe argue that shimoda kind of like was that guy a little bit for them this year just because like he's still super young but it's like yeah man you look in in the past it's like they're just hiring dudes that can and should win a championship so when you get hired for pro circuit does your mind automatically go to shit i'm getting paid to win a title 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's one thing I really respect about the team is that they treat everyone with the same expectations, the same goals, the same everything. I think that, you know, like if your goal isn't to win, then that's not, you know, that you're not probably the fit to work with Mitch. That's um, That was something that, you know, I, I almost struggled with in the past is that maybe I didn't have that uh, – you know, expectation to be the winner. Like even when I wrote as a filling guy on Geico, like if I went and got fifth, the team was stoked because like I'm the filling guy, you know, where for Mitch, he's like, you know, if I'm putting the bike on the track, like, you know, I, he wants your goals to be to win too. And, and like, there's, you know, an expectation with that. You come out after something that you didn't win or something that he felt like he could have done better. He's going to tell you, like, he's going to be straight up with you and be like, I felt like he could have done this better, but I like that because I like to be able to have, you know, a business relationship with someone that he can just be straight up and be like, Hey, this is what I feel like you could do better. Cause him having that expectation for me, I think, um, it's a sense of confidence because, you know, he believes that that's what I can do. So as like, mm. if, as long as he believes that I can win, you know, like I, I know he truly does believe so. And that's why he, has chosen me to be on the team. That's why he supports me. That's why, you know, we, that's why we do it. Like that's, that's my goal is to win. And like, I'm, I'm mature enough to know that I can take some tough talk. I can take, you know, like if, if you have an opinion on how I rode that night, like I want to hear it. Like I want to hear whatever we can do to make me be better for the next time. Yeah, no, it's so cool, dude. So what about the bike itself? So the Pro Circuit KX250F is probably the most sought after bike. Like if if I if someone said to me, "You got a 250 factory bike to ride. What would you ride?" I'd walk straight to that tent, and just to say that I could have rode a Mitch Payton built motorcycle. So what is that motorcycle like? Is that the unicorn that everybody thinks it is? I mean, yeah, it's. Um I've ridden a lot of the factory bikes and, and they're all the, all the bikes are so good now that, um, it's been a, it's been a while since I've ridden a stock bike and, uh, but the, what makes it, I think so special is the amount of work that they do to, you know, get them to the level that they're at. Like, um, I mean, we still, test every day and and there's days where I'm like oh the bike's this and whatever like I I mean this kind of gets off topic of what you asked me but like the suspension guy like that'd be the one of the worst jobs ever because there's days where I get off the track and I'm like dude it it feels terrible here it feels terrible here and it feels good here but then there's days where you're so stoked on it um but yeah like honestly walking under the tent still I I walk under it and like a pro circuit bike just it, it has a look that it's like, different they, and, and they've you know what's kind of cool is they've kind of looked the same for yeah. years like yeah the colorways of every you know what i mean like the the side of the engine and stuff like i i've always thought that stuff was cool like as a kid you know the green the show of fork tubes and stuff like that and mitch has kept his bikes looking pretty similar for for a long time and uh yeah like it's 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 cool like it's cool to you know walk under the tent and and see the bike with my number on it and especially with a red plate that's that's really exciting so <laughs> yeah dude i i yeah i can't imagine the uh 
like the first time you get to ride one of those bikes because uh dude like ivan tedesco oh stop it pro circuit <laughs> 250f like that is just the baddest shit ever and you're right man like they've kept that look the the team always kind of wears the you know the similar colorway it's like that's just i don't know it's like if there's ever a saying of if it ain't broke don't fix it it's those that pro circuit outfit yeah totally i mean like even i feel like just the side of the engine always always look the same and, and like it's i'm i analyze stuff a lot you know i think a lot of stuff's pretty cool so like the like the water pump cover has always been that red color and like mitch has just kept his stuff so similar but it's what's cool is that it was cool back in 2007 you know or or, or the 2008 whenever the early 250f years are and it's still yeah. like you still look at that bike and you're like dude that thing is trick like it is so sweet yeah man nah that's the uh yeah oh it's making me want one of those bad boys <laughs> the yeah, uh it's, uh, it's the, pretty uh, rad are all the bikes like the factory bikes at the, the level that you're at now like do you think they're all pretty competitive like i mean you see star doing what they're doing and i think that's the like i mean for me personally like i've i haven't ridden a modern kawasaki 250 but i have ridden that yamaha 250f and like that is a crazy crazy dirt bike but it's like are the are we seeing the bike like star do so good because of the bikes or is it the the riders that they've got on there i mean we always see him getting whole shots but justin cooper weighs like three kilos jeremy martin weighs four kilos so it's it's like i mean is it even skewed a little bit to where it's just like where we think that those bikes are better than what they are and really like everyone is so level um maybe so i think that you know like that's kind of there's been like an impression that you know like that bike is just on a whole another planet and um i haven't ridden the bike but uh i do know that our bike is very competitive um i was i've been happy with the bike like you know we got a new bike too this past year um and the work that they did for that thing you know they 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 had the old model um or the prior model for i think it was three years i want to say four and they it was like all new redesign we had a, a hydraulic clutch and um, a lot of new things on the bike and, and they've worked super hard to get it back up to, you know, this level that it's at, like from stock form, you know, we do a lot of stuff to the bike or the teams do. And, uh, but I, I definitely feel like we're competitive and I feel like most of the manufacturers are competitive. Um, and I think that's why, like, there's a lot of close racing. I mean, you know, you see multiple different bikes winning some of the outdoor races and, and uh yeah like i think that just like i said earlier like everyone's working everything they can do to to be the very best so i think everything kind of just works in waves you know like i mean um and like i said earlier like i want to be the guy to to end that that wave of you know that other the other teams winning i want to win so and I, i i truly think that that I can win on this bike and and like I think that it's very competitive and and the whole team is so um yeah I look forward to you know continuing to improve with the team and and like I think that you know um it's it's pretty obvious that they're all competitive like that we're competitive as well like I mean I I had 
a lot of good races this year. I had good starts and, and, uh, yeah, like I think that everyone's working together to, to be the best and to bridge the gap to win. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that what you're sort of finding out right now and like what you're going through in your career is that it sort of isn't just on you, right? Like there is this whole kind of team dynamic that comes together and, and whether that's like your girlfriend, then, you know, the relationship that you got with Nick and then uh, AC and then you've got the relationship with the team. It's like part of winning a championship is just not being the fastest guy, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, the the ability to work with the team and my trainers and everything is, is so important. Like, you know, you can you can have the best bike ever but without being able to work together and, and uh, utilizing your resources, like you're not going to be able to make it happen. I think that I have every resources. I have all the resources, you know, like like our suspension guys and motor guys, everyone, like as long as, you know, I am able to work, work together with them and communicate properly with them, um, you know, that they're going to throw everything at me. Like that's another thing that, you know, I've always, I'm always willing to do whatever it takes and I feel like my group of people around me are also willing to do whatever it takes. So that's super motivating too, to be able to, you know, when we're at the test track, like they'll test till I'm happy. And that's, that's like pretty motivating to, to, uh, you know, have people, the group of people in the, in together with the same goal in mind and the same, you know, like the same end goal basically. Yeah. So you got like you get all that momentum and everything and you're kind of grinding and then you get an injury and it just stops and you spend so much time focusing on moto 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 like it's just this lifestyle that you live so when you get an injury like what you had and you've got all this downtime like what stuff do you look towards like what kind of keeps you going through those days like what keeps you entertained what other stuff are you getting into to sort of pass that time until it can go back into dirt bike mode apart from therapy yeah, uh, it's tough for me because I still um, try to see what I can do to be better, like on the dirt bike. It's so hard for me to um, go away from that, and like even on the race weekends, it's hard for me to watch. Like I, I, I don't, I don't enjoy sitting on my couch watching the races. But um, you better believe I have live timing up on my computer. I have the segments up on my phone, and I'm watching it on the TV to see what each guy's doing or what's faster here or there. And Nick sends me videos from the track when he was there with AC to like, so I'm still trying to do my best to learn and to learn from what they're doing and learn what I can do better for my body and, and just everything that I can do to be ahead of, you know, like ahead of the eight ball for next year. But also like during some of my downtime, um, actually my girlfriend's a country music singer and uh yeah, yeah her she started yeah she started to have some shows open back up since COVID and stuff so i've traveled to a couple uh i traveled to a music festival last weekend um she's had a few shows that i've gone to and that's been kind of cool to kind of just see what she does i've i've you know when i'm full bore like i'm not really able to go see you know her shows on the same weekend as my races are and we kind of split off and and uh the past year like a lot of their stuff was canceled so she was able to come to some of the races so it's been cool to be able to go support her and and see what their stuff's all about and um understand that industry a little bit too um which has been fun to kind of go do something else but 
it's you know when you got an injury and like you know we're paid to be an athlete like a lot of our days still taken up every single day of um it might not be the first few weeks of grinding on a bicycle but whether it's therapy for swelling and i mean i'm driving to newport to get you know different types of therapy done on my knee like it's still a full-time job and and you have to take it that way like like you know i'm still hired by the team to to be the best athlete i can and to be whatever i got to do to be you know as ready as possible as soon as possible so like i don't really approach it with like the you know i got a bunch of downtime i'm gonna go hang and chill like um i want to be as far ahead of as i can be to where i'm super prepared for next year or or for when the next time i'm on my bike is yeah man it's so crazy like that's one of the reasons I, I love doing this podcast is you just get to learn about people's brain and the way that they think. And, you know, I remember like, yeah, watching you at Monster Cup and you're this like loose as fuck fast dude. And then, you know, you see all these crashes and you see the guy that like gets rides and then loses rides. And, you know, without like ever hearing you talk, like I wouldn't have thought that you had this like level of commitment and level of drive. And it's not that's not like a a dig in a way it's like i don't think there's many athletes that have the level of commitment and focus towards racing that you have like it's honestly in a good way surprising um and especially because you're so young and like you've had to deal with so much adversity and setbacks at such a young age and yeah to see just the level of commitment that you have to your racing i mean it's pretty gnarly dude well thank you i appreciate that but yeah i mean i just i try not to um i try not to like flaunt it that how hard i work or you know talk about it and and it might honestly almost be to uh to a downfall for me because um just of you know building a brand even like i don't um you know i don't go tell everyone how hard i work i don't you know post about how hard i'm working and, and you know if if i were to be able to put someone in my brain and like for them to like you know, just go through a day with me. Like there's a very, very large percentage of it trying to decide and trying to figure out what I can do to be better on my dirt bike and to be the best I can in my career. Like it's, there's, I go to bed thinking about it. I wake up thinking about it this whole summer, even, you know, while I'm off and, and, um, you know, some people just beat to different drums and, and for me, I have to be all in completely committed to be my best. Um, I think some guys need maybe more balance and, and like to have more fun outside of it and, and more like hang loose types. And that's what makes them better. But for me to be my best, like, I feel like I have to, um, you know, do everything I possibly can to be my best. And, and like, there's, there's so much thought that goes into it and so much, you know, I, I spin, sometimes I spin wheels even, you know, and sometimes I think about stuff and I'll, I'll text Nick, Hey, what do you think yeah. about this? What do you think about that? And just, just trying to think of ideas of how I can just better myself. Um, and sometimes, you know, I don't come to much of a conclusion, but yeah, I think that, uh, like I'll, I'll never at the end of my career, whether I completely reach my main goals and all of my goals, um, I'll never, I promised myself that I'll never look back and be like, I left this stone unturned or I'll never be a guy that's like, you know, if I would have done this, this is how I would have done. You know what I mean? Like I want to like, no matter what happens, how it goes, like 
whether I win 10 championships or, you know, whatever, I want to look back and be like, hey, I did everything I could and that's all I did. Yeah, dude. No, it's such a it's such a cool position because, yeah, there's not a lot of people that even guys at the top level, like they need other shit in their life. And I mean, the one of the things that I've kind of learned in my own life is that uh, uh, do you big reader? Do you like to read much? Um, not a lot. Uh, I like to listen to podcasts because I can, yeah, okay. um, I've, I've always like not liked reading in school and everything. So, um, it's better for me to listen. Like I like to listen to a lot of, uh, Joe Rogan's podcasts, um, just with like other super high level people that I respect or what I think is high level. Yeah. Um, just to kind of hear what their mindset is and, and just kind of take little, little clips out of, you know different things to be better yeah. as a you know my career my job and as a person yeah well i've got a couple cool audio books to um that you just from like listening to you talk for the last couple of hours so one that you should listen to is atomic habits by james clear uh that was a book that like pretty much just changed my life uh around the concept of just goals and making habits and um, I can I can text you if you want. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, text me. So I was going to make like, a note. Okay. Yeah, no, it's it's unreal. So uh, one of the things that he talks about in this book is that like the goal is kind of pointless in terms of like if that's the thing that you're focusing on. So you know you write you're on a start line and there's 20 dudes in that main event and you all have the goal of winning the race but only one person wins and 19 people lose. So if 20 people have a goal and one gets that goal, then obviously the goal doesn't really mean jack shit. Like what actually matters is the processes uh, that you follow each day and the habits that you create in your life. And I mean, I was the guy that was just like so anti-discipline and I didn't want a bar of it. And I thought that freedom was being able to do whatever you wanted, whenever you wanted, but that just creates like this cacophony of options that is too much to handle so i read this book and i'm like damn processes he said your your goals can own you can only reach your goals to the level of your processes there's some quote i really need to memorize it but basically it's like you 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 can only achieve x based on y so if you've got this goal to win a Supercross main event, but you ride one day a week and the rest of the times you play mad skills on your phone and you don't listen when you're testing and you spend a lot of time on Instagram. So they are processes. Like whether you think they're processes or not, everything you do is a process. And it's like in your mind, like you are just constantly looking for ways to make the process better. And then the goal almost takes care of itself. And I mean, how I've kind of applied it and actually had this pretty oh he's got a cool these cool graphs that he sort of shows um in the book and it's basically this compounding effect of if you get one percent better every day what the graph looks like after 365 days and then if you get one percent worse each day what it looks like after 365 days and i applied this in my life pretty heavily just in terms of the podcast like i just treated it I treat, I treat the podcast like a, I'm a professional athlete. 
like I get up every day at 5 a.m. I read, I do my reading and then I meditate and then I have a cook myself a good breakfast. And then I, no matter what, I come into the studio, whether we're recording or whether we're not, I sit at my desk, I make my edits, YouTube videos go up. I don't cut corners on thumbnails. Like everything that I do is just, this, it's the same every day. It's just like following this process. And, uh, you can see it in the stats on iTunes. Like you look at the stats and it goes up and it looks like the curve that he described in this book. And then, you know, I start looking at this curve everywhere. And then I bet if I plotted my flexibility progress on a graph, it would look like that curve. And you know, the YouTube looks like the same and then your bank account looks the same. And then all of a sudden your life is getting better as a result of just focusing so hard on the processes in your life and not really thinking about the goals. And then I had a pretty cool combo. Um, we had the guys at Red Bull were like, oh, how, what, how many times has the podcast been listened to this year? And that was just a couple of weeks ago. I had no idea, dude. I had literally no idea how many times the podcast has, had been downloaded in 2021. And it was six months through the year. And I was so focused on the processes just the daily grind i did the same thing every day i i didn't even know what the goal was essentially and then i calculate all the numbers and i go youtube and instagram and i look at it all and then i'm just like holy shit i couldn't have even made that goal like that goal i wouldn't have if if you could have said to me in january 1st like write down what you want to be on the on the 30th of june I would have wrote down a number that was millions less than what the podcast got downloaded. And that's not an exaggeration. And that is purely by focusing on the processes every single day that, that you do it. And I mean, it's really hard to do that. Like there's a lot of sacrifices that you make to do that. And, and from listening to you, that's your mentality, man. Like you're just so focused on the process. Yeah, I mean, like you said, like you probably would have sold yourself short if you would have maybe made that goal. And that's that's something that I want to do. You know, I don't want to, um, you know, the sky's the limit, I feel like. And that's with anything in life, whether it's training to be the best professional motocross racer you can be or you're building houses. Like if if you don't work through a process, like, you know, my my if I win a main event on a night, like... I didn't just go out and win the main event. It started months ago, years ago. But like, if you talk about the day, it starts with the day of how you wake up and how you start your day and how first practice goes. And, and like, there's so much of a process. And that was a huge learning thing for me because you get so fed up in like how you want, you have some result that you want that night to be. But one big thing I learned is to be the very best Cameron McAdoo can be each time I go on the track, each section, break everything down to where if I do that, you know, if I can be the very best that I can be the whole time, I'll like, that's a huge thing that Nick's taught, you know, taught me. You're going to be where you're going to be or where you would like to be. If you can execute these things and be your best this amount of time. And I haven't perfected that yet. So that's, and, and, you know, until, until I feel like I'm the perfect racer, which will never happen, I'm going to continue to keep searching for what it could be to make me be my very best every single time. And if I didn't do that, I feel like I'd be selling myself short. Is there like a, 
because I guess for people that don't have that insight and they don't have that level of discipline and they don't have that level of commitment in their life, is there some kind of enjoyment and is there some kind of pleasure that you get from uh, from being this focused and being this uh, intense about the processes that you go through? Oh, absolutely. Like, I think that, you know, that what I get enjoyment out of in life is um, feeling productive, like feeling productive at the end of a day and being locked into a goal and locked into something like even after my racing career, like there's no chance I will, if I, if I make millions of dollars, never have to work another day in my life, go and just be stagnant. Like that's just not how I work. Like, um, it's, I'm even, I struggle with the have recovery days because, and I have to, because that's part of my sport and I've learned that that's part of my work, but that is um, productivity as well exactly yeah exactly and that's that's just something you learn uh, like as you go and like I uh, I'm super scheduled I'm like I have to have my time managed out and like I make time for each thing and, and I try to do my best to not have random time of just like not sure what I'm gonna do during the day whether it's towards racing whether it's towards my whatever it is my finances anything in life like I feel like to be your best you have to like utilize time management and that's what makes me feel good at the end of each day is that I know I I utilize my day because like you're not guaranteed the next day you're not guaranteed any more than what you have so like I want to take advantage of everything I can to you know make the best out of myself that I can yeah and where did this come from like has it always been like this or did is this something that you developed over time um I think that, I mean, if you'd probably have to ask my parents that, like, I think I've always been pretty, pretty stubborn. And, uh, like if I want something, I'm going to figure out how to get it. Um, whether it was, I wanted a new paintball gun when I was a kid, like, you know, I, the way I grew up was you work for whatever you get. And like, I think I credit my parents for pretty much all of my, my mentality, my work ethic, because you know, my dad worked construction growing up. He traveled a lot and my mom, um, she had rental properties. So she was actually, she was an estimator at, for like a construction company, like a general estimator. And then she, um, ended up going into the rental property business and then she had houses. So, you know, as a kid, like during the summer, we would mow properties or it was paint properties or fix up a rental property that someone moved out of or whatever it was. But there was always, as a kid, I didn't realize what my mom was or my parents were teaching me, my mom and dad that, you know, in order to have this, you have to earn it. You have to work towards it. You have to earn money to get that or whatever it is for your goals. So like, I just thought it was like, I was like, man, this sucks. Like I got to go mow this property because I want to go fishing this afternoon. But like my mom would take us fishing. But before we did that, we would go do all these things to finish work. So like, it was just kind of instilled in my sister and I like growing up as that, you know, you just, you gotta, you have to work for things and like nothing comes easy. And, and I think there was also like, I was never allowed to feel entitled. Um, I Mm. don't like, I, I really don't believe I have any sort of entitlement in myself. So like, I think that that's a huge thing, um, that my parents would never allow is us to be entitled. Like, 
when I wanted my first phone. I wasn't entitled to have a phone, you know, like when I turned 16 and got a vehicle, um, you know, I had an old, a hand-me-down from my sister, my first truck. And like, I was so stoked to have that where I had friends that were like, man, it sucks that I have a vehicle that's X amount of years old, whatever. Like, so like, I just, I was never allowed to have that sort of a approach to life to where like you should, you need to be grateful and work for whatever you have. And like, you know, I even look up to my sister a lot. She's in the U S Navy. So she's in the military and, and she like her work ethic is through the roof. Like, and it just like, it shows you that I think that if whatever you want, you have to work towards it. Anyone who is a successful business person or successful in whatever their idea of success is 99% of the time, it was worked for and they still work like billionaires still wake up at 5 a.m and work till whatever time p.m like they don't hang out because they're worth billions and on a yacht like there's a reason they're like that and they stay like that forever yeah man i totally agree and i mean i said this the other day with with cody and i don't want to like get too repetitive on the podcast but it's like my day now that i make money from the podcast looks exactly the same as the day when i was fucking struggling to pay my rent and i owed thousands on the studio and i couldn't pay my itunes bills and my fucking day is the same bro i didn't change my day the outcome changed but that changed over time and it changed as a result of work like there was no you know there's no like oh cool i'm getting paid from this now like all right life's different it's almost harder the more that you have and it's like the it it sort of feels like the more you get the more you gotta like fight to kind of stay there oh absolutely like that's so true and and even with your podcast stuff like it's it's obvious that like you work day in and day out towards it as as someone who works their whole life for a main goal like i can understand where like i see your podcast i see you know, where you take clips of it and title it stuff on YouTube. And I watch the stuff like I've seen some of the stuff and, and like, I, I know that that doesn't just happen. Like that happens out of work that happens out of consistency. Like, you know, and like you're saying like the numbers, like you have a totally different goal than I have, you know, you're working towards a goal of having a massive podcast where I'm working towards being a champion. And, but there's a process of it in both ways. And like, like you were saying about how it gets harder, like it really does. Like once you, you get a job as a factory racer and you know, you get a salary and then you have success and your salary gets higher and then expectations get higher and expectations get higher from the team, from your sponsors, from yourself, you know, you've won, you've done this and, and you expect more out of yourself. And so like it never gets easy. Just like, if you're a marathon runner, like it doesn't get easy for Eloy Kipjot or I don't know how you pronounce his name to run a marathon under two hours. He's suffering as bad or worse than the first marathon he ever ran. He just got better at it. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's almost like you just get better at suffering. Yeah, totally. So in the growth of Cameron McAdoo, like where, where are you still coming up short? Like, where have you still got a lot of work to do? What's, like, the things that you look at? Because it's funny, uh, just for, I guess, on my side of the equation, like, um, I got 
one of my jiu-jitsu coaches one of my best mates and he's a guy that i've learned a lot from actually in my own life um he meal preps every sunday he uh so dedicated with his training he says says no to so many things like oh hey man you want to go do this no i can't do that i got to do this and and he is this guy that i've kind of taken a lot from in terms of like his regiment and his routine and the way like every wednesday he's got a checklist on his phone of like bills and shit that he does and and we were talking uh the other day he came to my house and we were training and I've really implemented over like the last probably 18 months since like the COVID thing started of like, I wanted to be more like him. I wanted to be more process driven. I wanted to be more organized. I wanted to end like everywhere in my life. I wanted to do it like the way that we edit the podcast and the file structures that we use and the notes that we take. And you know, like there's, it's like this detailed matrix of shit in your life where you're just trying to get better. And he said to me the other day, he's like, Oh, like where what what do you think now like that you've you've really changed your life and you've really like you kind of ticking a lot of these boxes he's like do you have anything where you look at yourself now and and maybe you're like a couple years down the road and you look back and you're like fuck i wish i was doing this and you know and to me it's like probably my physical health like i train jujitsu as much as i can and i um I'll do motos when I go ride and I put so much effort in, but I don't generally lift weights. I don't do like strength and conditioning. So for me in my life, I'm like, fuck, probably strength and conditioning, like just to have some kind of routine that I do every day that gets my blood pumping. And, and then I'd, I'd probably add like cooking. Like I want to be better at cooking good food. And like, I want to make sure my nutrition's always good because you're right. Like, to have this many clips come out from the podcast is a lot of work and there's two of us doing it now and that's a lot of work for two people so i mean i'm like yesterday i didn't eat at all like (laughs) i got into the studio we did the podcast in the morning and then i went and got something quick i ate like a croissant and then i i worked until 6 p.m and then I was going to go to jiu-jitsu. So I had two pieces of toast before I went to jiu-jitsu. So it's like, there's a lot of good shit happening, but then there's holes in the program and they're like holes that I'm looking to fill. So with how regimented you are and with all the processes that you've put in place, like where's the holes in the program? Like where's your ship still leaking? See, for me, it might seem like my answer is going to be super broad, but uh, like I really feel like I have almost, I tap into basically everything I possibly can. So I think the biggest thing for me to reach my goals from here in the future is to be able to execute all of my knowledge and all of what um, the people around me, you know, help me with, execute it all together on Saturday night every time. Um, So like the consistency of the execution of my process, if I can put that all together and, um, which you're never going to perfectly execute every time. But I think another thing for me is to, um, accept not perfection. Um, like I almost overdo it because I want every single thing in my program to be perfect. Like my nutrition, I don't, I never eat crap food like I mean I I do everything I can because I know that's part of my process you know so basically just to be able to execute everything that I've been taught and everything that 
we work on from myself to my mechanic to my trainer to my team everything together and execute it all at the same time every single time I think that's probably the biggest thing that I have to do yeah man that's so sick so for the we're almost done our three hours here uh for the kids out there that were kind of like you and didn't have the rides and didn't have the results and you know but sort of want to be where you are at some point in their career like what should a kid that's 14 listening to this struggling do to give himself the best chance of making it in the way that you've made it in your career um i think like the biggest thing is i would say to find call it a program or what you believe in is going to be what's going to make you successful and whatever that is just go towards that with everything you have like for me it was when i first started training at club mx like maybe every single thing in each program isn't what's perfect but that was the program that I committed to and I I believe that that was what was best for me so I did every single thing in that process of the program to become you know as best as I could be and that's what I still do now like each thing like whatever you're doing commit to it and do it as best as you possibly can every single time whether it's every workout whether it's every time you ride whether it's every time you work on your bike because you don't have a mechanic or you know every part of your program to reach your main goal if you're a racer and that and your main goal is to race professionally or if it's to qualify for Loretta's or if it's to win championships on a 450 like you have I think each person has to approach it the same way like the kid or you know maybe a guy who's trying to like if they can't make a main event or they're a you know 50th place guy in practice in order for them to get to make a main event they have to do like the same work as one of us to win championships but it's just a different level of you know where you're at if yeah, that makes yeah. sense and so yeah no definitely See, it's like it's like uh there's no uh, just trying to like put that in a nutshell for you it's like there's no um, requirement based on where you're at. So if you're like a, f- a 50th place guy, then it's not like you have to do the work of a 40th place guy to try and go up the rank. It's like you've always got to do the work of the first place guy. Like you have to do what you can in your mind with what you've got to do the Ryan Dungey style shit or to do the Cameron McAdoo style shit. And I'm sure like you know that that club mx thing for you like i'm sure when you went there and to just have like a couple bikes and to not have a mechanic and to not have the equipment um i mean that was probably like way harder for you than so many more people that were there and i think probably like a really big part of it and i mean i'm assuming that you just didn't let the things that you didn't have deter you from the things that you wanted to have yeah for sure i mean that was huge like up until I rode for Moto Concepts as a pro, I did all my own bike work. Um, and up until I had support from Moto Concepts, we paid for every part. Every My parents, you know, or I raced A-class at the time, so I would go race local races in South Carolina to make money to work on my bike. So, like, I also kind of have that understanding of, you know, 
that part of it, but I didn't, you know, I was around people who had mechanics and stuff and, but I didn't like look at them and be like, Oh man, I don't have that. So I can't do this. Like it was just the position I was in and I was going to take whatever I had in the position I was in and the amount of support that I had and do everything I could with it. Like, cause my parents, I mean, it was a huge commitment for them financially. I, I don't grow up with super rich parents. I, I mean, you know, they were well enough that they could support me racing a dirt bike, but it was everything they had, you know? So like there was no chance I was gonna, um, not do everything in my power with what I had to be the best I could. Like, so, I mean, there's, um, you can find every reason why you might not have what you need, but like at the end of the day, if you just, I feel like you just gotta utilize everything you can, you can and what you have, because this guy might have more, but like, what do you, what do you got to do to get to what he has or to get to, you know, if you compare yourself to others and like your goals to what, where other people are at in life, like, I feel like you'll just go backwards. Yep. Nah, man, I've honestly enjoyed talking to you so much, dude. Like your, your, uh, attitude towards life and racing. I feel, uh, I feel quite similar in uh, in some of the ways that we approach things, and I, I really, uh, yeah, I respect the commitment that you've got. And to be your age, I mean, it took me a long time to learn this shit, man. <laughs> I was a, uh, I reckon it wasn't until, uh, it wasn't until I was, I reckon, twenty nine, until I really started to like put these things into effect. And I'm so grateful for my life now. Like I've, the I couldn't imagine a better life for myself. Um, so I wouldn't want to go back and change it, but who knows what, you know, how much better life could be or the things that you can avoid if you kind of learn these lessons young. And I think that, um, yeah, to be your age and to have achieved the things that you've done and from the place that you did achieve those things from, I think it's a credit to you, dude. And, and I didn't, and I, I, like I said, I was a fan of yours. I liked you before we did this. Uh, podcast but we hadn't spoken too much and I just I didn't expect the level of focus and commitment that you've got and and I think it's even rare among people that are in the position that you're in yeah well I'm like I said I appreciate that like I mean it's just yeah for me I want to do my best to be my best me every day and and uh still enjoy what I do too like it's it's cool. Like, I mean, like you're saying what you do and, and, uh, it's, it's obvious the people who put everything they have into it, you know, whatever they're doing or whatever they're trying to, you know, maximize. And, um, like one of the kind of the sayings that I always like live by was like the cream always rises to the top no matter Mm -hmm. what. So like be that cream. Yeah. Well, dude, you, uh, creamy as it gets so (laughs) (laughs) no i I really appreciate it dude and um yeah it's been it's been fun man it's been cool especially uh yeah just to to hear about well i think some of the advice and some of like the ways that you approach it um yeah i think a lot of people can can hear it and if they apply some uh just sprinkle a little bit of that mcadoo on their on their own (laughs) life and their own goals whether it's yeah to fucking race a club day or to ride loretta's um, I think, or just to be a good dude in life, you know, like just make your fucking bed, make sure you got clean clothes and clean sheets and good food. And, you know, like it's just life takes work, whether you're trying to be a professional motocross racer or not. So put in the work and, uh, and you'll get the results. 
yeah totally I've, I've enjoyed hanging too and um maybe we'll do another one in what call it april and i'll have achieved some more goals yeah yeah come in with a put a one plate <laughs> on the table and uh and, yeah uh, yeah we'll get, get it done again that'd feel good <laughs> uh, well, another book for you too if you want an audio book um it's like super in line with your philosophy uh but it's called extreme ownership by jocko willink and uh basically I like i'll text that, it to you as well yeah yeah he's a g dude he's got some really really good books man um so yep. yeah the extreme ownerships one that i've read and then i also just bought uh the dichotomy of leadership um so it's about being like a leader in life um so yeah and i think he reads the audio books too so they're fucking dope okay sick yeah i'll have you text me those over that'd be sick yeah yeah for sure but yeah that one atomic habits man like fuck honestly life-changing like it was so so good i recommend it to anybody and everybody and it's like it uses just some of the most amazing examples of people that um had like terrible processes and then uh and then went on to just achieve crazy things just by changing the processes so sweet yeah i look forward to it i'll have to check them out i got some plane rides and long bike rides to listen to them so yeah sick no sweet all right dude well uh yeah i'll talk to you soon and uh appreciate it sounds good thanks good hanging